0: all right everybody how's it going it is saturday december 3rd 2022 and you are watching after the cast live this is the live show of the michigan ufo sightings and paranormal encounters podcast and hopefully we're going to have a pretty interesting show for you tonight even though i am sick and crazy under the weather nice little sinus infection because you know here in michigan it goes from 50 degrees, 40 degrees, 10 degrees in snow, 70 degrees, 20 degrees, 50 degrees. And that's in the same day. (laughs) So, all right. So with that getting started today, we're going to take a deep dive into the latest Netflix series that's got everybody all worked up. And that's Mr. Graham Hancock's show. The uh, Ancient Apocalypse, and I couldn't think of a better person to have come on the show than our good friend, Jared Murphy, and we're going to talk about what he's got going on, where his ideas kind of fit in here. Um, We're just going to go all over the place, but first, I need to bring in my lovely co-host with no camera. It's Michelle. Hello, everyone. Yeah, surprise, surprise. All right. So, Michelle, what's going on out there? Do we got anything happening in chat at all? Anybody there? What's going on?
1: No, we've got Bigfoot Michigan Rob hanging out with us tonight.
0: Hey. Yes, yes, yes. How's it going, Bigfoot Michigan Rob? And yes, I have to drink coffee because this is going to be a rough one. I was going to say, it's always coffee time. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Well, we got another special co-host that's going to be talking with us tonight we had talked about the uh the ancient apocalypse show and he was very interested in coming on and talking about it so let's bring him in it's burton hello hey hey, man what's been going on
2: not too much very good to see you guys and very good to be back doing this i love these
0: <laughs> yeah this is uh something new for us and uh very very interesting times going on and man things are just going nuts first it was the what 1994 Michigan UFO thing on Netflix on unsolved mysteries. And that kind of prompted us to come on and talk about that. And now we have uh, what the, the ancient apocalypse and Graham Hancock and, you know, all of this stuff going on. So yeah, we had the Michigan game <laughs> uh, to all the Ohio state people out there. We're, we're sorry. We have already let Graham Hancock know that it's not the end of the ice age that's flooding Lake Erie right now. It's your tears. (laughs) So, you know, just take it easy. You get another shot next year. So, so anything going on with the the new podcast, man, I think I saw episode eight come out. What's what's up with
2: that? Yeah. Episode eight just came out. That one uh, is about, I've been kind of starting off going through like a lot of my own personal paranormal experiences. And that one is about the time where I investigated, like, pretty much my first two real investigations with equipment of any kind and and stuff like that, you know, uh, was at the USS Edson, which is docked out in Bay City, Michigan. Um, And then we did uh, the Dundee Mill, the old mill down in Dundee, Michigan. Uh, and. I had uh, my really good friend uh, come on, and because he was with me, we pretty much do most. We've done pretty much all of them together, to be honest. And uh, I had him come on and tell about the experiences and stuff. And that was, yeah, it was a fun one for sure. And then the next one coming out will feature a call uh, from Guy. So oh, excellent.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I know I still need to get you, my um, or Michelle and, and uh our encounter. Oh, yeah, yeah. The uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd be the
2: first, probably the first UFO story I've been able to feature.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We'll get that put together and sent to you in my voice and, and I'm feeling a little bit better, but yeah, for sure, man. All right. So Michelle, what's this?
1: Um, this is our exploration down the rabbit hole on an escalator.
0: Yep. There we go. Hold on. You got to go by again. Hold on. We got to do it at least twice down the rabbit hole. There we go. But I at least
1: have a suitcase with me, too. That means I'm traveling.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think uh, that's, you know, the escalator that helps us get not only down the rabbit hole, but to the plain out west. Absolutely. Yes. Lovely country out there. Lake Tahoe, Sacramento, California, Laughlin, Nevada, you know. I wish I was there right now. I could deal with some heat and none yeah. of cold wet stuff, man. So all right. Let's go ahead and get our special guest on for tonight. And uh I you know, he's like a a long lost brother. You know, he's he's a a good dude. We talk on the phone, and you know, Jared has been really busy lately. And, you know, the dude's doing all kinds of stuff, which he can talk about here. Um, but, you know, we, we haven't talked in a, in a bit and, you know, we got on the phone today and it was just like, I had talked to him the other day, you know, it's just when you get those people that you click with, right. And, uh, Jared's one of those guys and we have some of the same interest and everything. And, uh, it, it's just, you know, very cool to have them. So as a friend and to bring them on the podcast, so let's bring them on. Jared.
3: Hey, all right. How you doing? Oh, man. Hanging in there. There's, there's, uh, yeah, it seems like time just stops and, you know, you pick up with people that, you know, you click with and you, it's like yesterday and, you know, we're all busy. You're busy. Yep. You've been busy. Well,
0: always you're, busy. Yeah, you're uh, busy moving basically across the country now at this point, right?
3: Well, at the rate I'm going, um, I, it's so uh, interesting. You know, I did my. I have not released the live lecture I did in America's Stonehenge a few weeks ago. I haven't released that to the general public so far. The only person who saw it were people who had tickets online or in person. Uh, went really good. It was something new, and uh, we were filming prior to that weekend. I was in uh at the end of june i was filming with michael from dark hour paranormal and uh, lynn wellington we were um i was putting together something through the summer that has to do with uh I, and we did chat a little bit about like the galt archaeological site and so i was busy filming about ancient uh, it, it unintentionally fil- uh, you know crosses over into this apocalyptic time period which is i was filming um at a site called the Galt Archaeological Site, and it's uh, very interesting. I think it ties into the East Coast, America's Stonehenge, and it's all about the ancient surviving apocalyptic cultures that likely sprang up from more like Mount Toba going up. So we're filming there, trying to wrap up and get my book out for Christmas. Uh, We have two other uh, documentaries we've been filming. So I've been everywhere from uh, my good friend Jim Goodall's home in Tucson, uh, we've been filming on the East Coast I've been uh, actually with Rex from leak project we were at the moab upheaval dome just three two three weekends ago filming there and did a live show and then um yeah here I am uh just because my plate's not full enough uh thank yeah, you and know, plus you've got your work centrally locate here in the in the uh, this uh, western area
0: yeah and on top of all that you've got your normal, job that you have to do as well.
3: Yeah. And, and, and we've been prepping for a couple of years to go to South America and do some excavation, uh, really just some experimentation. Um, and that's looking like it's uh, we're coming to a first phase where it looks like we're going to do our initial trip. Uh, did some planning with some people that spent a couple of years in Peru. Um, super excited about it. And that, that's something, of course, if it wasn't just that my new book, is coming out that there's 90 more pages that it's in color. There's going to be a hard copy and a paperback, and so there's been a lot of work going on. Um, uh, my good friend Barbara Charlton has done a wonderful job with me doing the uh, doing a lot, you know, kind of spearheading the uh, uh, the work with that. But yeah, it's been really, really, really busy the last few weeks, and uh, you know, friends like you guys and uh, Simon and uh, Simon Laura King and scotland and i mean there's we, we got so many people that are all on like we're all in the same bandwidth we're all like we're all doing our things to move these balls forward and maybe get people more involved or excited or wake people up sounds like you guys have plans for a trip soon you're, it sounds like you're going to a conference
0: yes well i am michelle's not but i'm going to be going to the randall carlson um, grand hancock uh cosmic summit here in June. So I'm just finalizing all of those plans and everything, but I will be going to that to go hang out with Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson and Johanna James and, uh, Jimmy from bright insight. So, and hopefully we'll talk to them and ask them some questions and hopefully have some really good, uh, uh, like presentations and things. And, you know, I got to give a shout out since you brought up the, the, um, uh, your Stonehenge, uh, America's Stonehenge, uh, lecture that you did a big shout out. If Lynn's out there, thank you, Lynn. You saved my bacon for getting me into that show because I bought a ticket online off of your website and I never got the confirmation and she gave me a code to get in so I could watch it. So I oh, don't man. know. And, and, you know, I was kind of worried because you were telling me you were dealing with getting your website redone and all of that. And I still went ahead and, and purchased a virtual ticket to go Thank to. You. Yeah. Uh-huh.
3: yeah. You know what I, of all the other things going on, yes, my website, the member area, you know, it's been a little, it's not stagnant because there's not new content. It's because I have spent, so much time and money trying to release the new website. And I've had nothing but trouble. I think we're over the hump on that and there is going to be a new website soon enough, but I just wanted to, to, you know, I just didn't want to layer in new material without having it updated. And so it's been just difficult. Just another
0: thing for your plate, man.
3: Um and I'm, I'm good with all of it. I appreciate being on. I, I appreciate the, you know, we have to do the work and we have to have the fun talks and this has been, it's been nothing less. i have zero complaints.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So let's uh, start digging into this a little bit. So, you know, Jared, I know you were on our episode, I believe if, let me get this right. Episode 30 and that was let me get the dates right here that was back in uh geez what was the date on this uh may of last year and uh or at least over the summer not last year it's not 2023 yet though it feels like it but um why don't you just kind of give us a little bit of a background and people that will watch this uh, later, if they're not joining in now, a little bit of background about where you're coming from and your research and about your book and everything.
3: Okay. So um, for everyone who doesn't know, my name is Jared Murphy. I do uh, field exploration and uh, write on a chapter of human history that likely predates the, uh, dynastic civilizations that we know that's what it's not aliens worse it's us discovering our lost history is about um that book is out of print there's been a, a year of revisions and updates and a new versions coming out here in um for christmas and what that book covers is everything from uh why is it how is it What are the uh, sciences, you know, from water consciousness, the ether, quantum mechanics to, I mean, really, it's a big picture book with a lot of really fine details. The fourth phase of water, uh, basically shout outs to different researchers to pull together what I think is a working theory that I think is more accurate to our situation, which is it's not aliens, worse, it's us. It's that we probably 75,000 years ago went through... Uh, catastrophe with Mount Toba going off. And then then the net result of that was the Younger Dryas, which, uh, yes, the effects of the Younger Dryas is maybe a meter shower, or, uh, a number of other events. So post-Younger Dryas, I think that this is all survivor cultures. And so I wrote about this in a 340-page-plus book with a lot of photos and information and speak, write, do documentaries and work to do field exploration to... Uh, prove out some of the things we've taken for granted, even the G.E. Kincaid cave. Uh, I went there with Rex and we um, we definitely got to the site where it was supposed to be. And so I do that kind of work. The book covers not only the reasoning and the facts uh, around my, it's not just my case. I think there's just a case for that. There was once a more advanced human society and some of those people survived, but just like if it was a cruise ship of humanity, it may have taken them tens of thousands of years to Uh, reactivate or um, re-advance. And so instead of a terraformed, uniformed planetary system, which included biotechnology that we recognize in a lot of cases for us in our 10 to 15% consciousness, what we call nature, uh, I believe that some of these UFOs, if not military or otherwise, but legitimate, non, what we would describe as clandestine organization UFOs, there's a good chance that a survivor culture did make it. And we are seeing them that they even exist now. Now that there's a lot of different dialogue now between that conversation and all the evidences in the ground that show there was a very advanced human race. And then of course, all the different conspiracy places we can go and say, Well, what does a fully conscious human race look like? You know, what what are the superhuman abilities? What are the how would the world operate and run? So I've spent a lot of time on that. I've been on this show, Coast to Coast and Richard Hoagland and Richard Searrett, and Coast to Coast again. And I co-host a number of shows. I get to interview a lot of the people I write about. I've gotten to be friends with many of them. I've been very fortunate uh, so far in this career to do that uh, because some of these people are just incredible, like Dr. Gerald Pollack, who discovered the fourth phase of water. I think it's the most important discovery since the hydrogen bomb um, because it validates so many naturalists like Victor Schauberger and everyone's work. But yeah, I've been at it now and have enjoyed uh, this, running dialogue with with everyone out there that's a self-experimenter that is waking up, that has uh, had personal experiences. And even if they think they're in the paranormal world, the UFO world, um, there can't be a separate modality for all of these systems. There has to be an underlying global answer. And it's in our genes, it's in our genetic memories, it's in the ether. And that's a little bit about what I'm into. Not exactly yeah. historical, but that's what I'm into. And I also enjoy outdoor activities and long walks on the, <laughs> the beach. <laughs>
0: yeah. So um <laughs> that was good. I don't know. Uh, Burton. Yeah. Um digging into let's let's jump into this Netflix show and then we'll come back to Jared and, and see because I've I've followed Jared now for quite a while. I've been reading a lot of things, you know, I've read all of Hancock's books and have them on audio and print form and all that stuff. And my big question to him is going to be, and Carlson too, why do you stop at the Younger Dryas? We know there's been other extinction level events and things like that. But before we dig into that, Burton, let's look at what were some of your takeaways from the Netflix show, kind of as you know, an outsider looking in on some of this stuff. And what did what did you think about what um, you saw there on Netflix?
2: I I have actually now what is it eight episodes or so?
0: Yeah, so, eight episodes. Like right.
2: I think I've seen them all three times now. About um, <laughs> I I watch it over and over. I love it. I think it's fantastic and and really really interesting i've been following graham hancock uh first time i was ever exposed to him was a number of years ago on joe rogan and then uh i continued to follow his work after that and i didn't even know that he had this like netflix documentary thing coming out and so when i saw it pop up one day i was like oh this is fantastic like i was very excited um there were a lot of things in ancient apocalypse that he'd never, I'd never heard him go into on other podcasts and stuff like that. So there were like new things like the, um, the serpent mound in Ohio. Um,
0: and, Which they abandoned me uh, from.
2: Yeah. 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 For real. Um, right. And the, um, that other, there's another mound in Ohio too. I can't remember that, or maybe it's not Ohio. Maybe that one was in Louisiana, but uh, yeah, those especially stuff. Um, oh, and the, uh, the bridge. That's, or, or the, the, the road, the B starts oh, with a B Bimini road, Bimini road. Yes. The Bimini road. um and, and I know that had been discussed before a little bit, but like, I'd never like seen it to that. I mean, you know, when they went diving and they found like the rocks under the rocks, like, so they could balance on it and stuff. I was like, how's nobody talking about this? Like, this is insane. And that's the other thing about great. Like all this work is none of it, it. All they're suggesting is, Hey, maybe we're missing something like it's not the whole hypothesis does not seem crazy to me at all so i mean it's not nearly as crazy as you know the history channel show ancient aliens you know like but yeah that seems to be a lot more popular for whatever reason uh but no i loved it it. i thought i thought it was fantastic
0: it was an interesting take and uh You know, I just I just wonder probably what Jared's going to talk into a little bit with the genetics, uh, these things being kind of connected to our genes. Yes. You you basically saying that you've watched each episode now like three times Mm -hmm. basically makes me think that whether you agree with him or not, that there was something presented there that triggered something in you to want to know more.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. And
0: and I think Jared could probably talk a little bit about that. I've got my own theories on on the whole genetic thing and and instinct versus uh you know, gene coding and things like that. So, uh Jared, what do you how would you tie that into some of your genetic theories and things like that when it comes to this?
3: In reference to the the kind of the whole the theme of the theory uh, the series or what, well, what do you
0: think? basically like Burton's response, right? Like he's watched each episode now three times. That's that's a lot of time to invest, but obviously something you know got to him and made him want to watch this thing. And I think a lot of people have probably done the same thing. And I, do you think that maybe there's something that might be getting triggered genetically? learning you know because we're, we're all told this crappy story of history <laughs> you know honestly yeah. it, it is it's <laughs> you know five thousand years ago people and and butt flaps you know built the pyramids out of gigantic stones you know and one of those pyramids has 2.3 million stones in it you know big bricks and you know and everybody just kind of shrugs their shoulders and moves on but then this series comes out and you know Burton's into paranormal things and, uh, ghost UFOs, the whole nine yards. But then there's something in this show that made him want to watch each one three times. So what do you think? Is there something going on here?
3: Well, I think that anytime someone kind of crosses a bridge, like you said, whether you're in a different, uh, field of research or whether you have a different, um, Maybe you were curious or had a level of interest. There's a lot of different reasons why you go into um, what's ultimately a more, I think, an accurate, I, th- I think it's, there's a reason music, uh, Lord of the Rings, there's a reason there's stories that we've told over the years, they somehow ring true to us. We're drawn to certain frequencies, not just for healing, but there's things I think in, in the frequency energy math of how complex our our ancient biotech world was at one point pre Younger Dryas. I mean that we're drawn to things that are genetically stored or are shared in that subconscious ether, uh, that collective human consciousness. I do think that there's something we're drawn to when it starts, even on an unconscious level, answering some truths. So I think that's one of the things that draws us to a lot of the things we're interested in. And then, um, as far as watching his show three times, I mean, only because it's awkwardly like Burton's literally listening to us talk about him. I was speculating <laughs> about Burton since I don't know him. I would take a guess that a lot of people that I've met over the last few years as they're getting into this subject or some of the people who are newer into even podcasting about it um, that are really excited and they want to participate and they want to like they've learned some things that are just so profound. They're like, I got to speak about this. And I think that's a positive thing. And I think when you're, when you have a certain, everyone has a certain expertise or certain background, and I'm sure Burton could talk about a lot of things I don't know about, that at the same time, I think Randall Carlson, given his background and Graham Hancock and what he's done for research, I think that their names have become big enough and mainstream enough that, and there was enough money in this documentary this time where they're repackaging some well it's a couple there's a couple layers to the show that we could speak to but when it comes to why watch it three times i would just assume that there are people out there that burton heard things and could only you know you can only consume so much mentally one round and then round two and then round three is that about summing it up Burton?
2: yeah i would say that i mean yeah definitely (laughs) accurate also uh just uh pr- you know uh one of the things I mean I'd say three times because the third time was because I knew we would be talking about it tonight and I wanted to you know freshen it all up and uh and take notes and stuff like that so you know but yeah yeah, yeah
3: the great. um did you um was there anything that like I'm just curious from your perspective when you watched the show was there anything that really like wow I never thought of it or i ooh yeah
2: Yeah. um, Never thought. uh, I'm trying to remember specifically,
3: or just something that really stood out to you, where you're like, "Well, that was a perspective I hadn't like." Or did it play into anything else you've already been thinking about, where you're like, "Well, that seems to back up five other things."
2: Oh. Oh. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Um. The I had never seen on camera and stuff like that. Like the whole part about Göbekli Tepe, um, and the carvings there. And how, you know, the the theory, at least the hypothesis or whatever, is that it uh, a lot of the animal carvings are representations of, you know, the stars and things that they see in the sky and stuff like that. And how that is just the number one thing around a lot of these ancient megalithic sites that they all seem to have in common. You know, there's other things, too. But that one thing in particular now, it's something I thought of before. Sure. But like seeing it play out in each every every single episode with every single place that they went to it was like i mean there's got to be something to that it seems like you
3: know <clears throat> yeah definitely period wise does d- did you notice that um those big columns um when i started writing 5 years ago 6 years ago now um i could not find an internet article that did not start with one thing about gobekli tepe one there are You know that they've only well. First off, I don't think they mentioned this in the site, but you know that they've only dug up five percent of Go Backley Tape. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And then did they? Did you know that there are at least six or seven other sites that are identical?
2: Oh no, I did not know that.
3: Yeah, they they don't bring that up. And then the other thing is more specifically, they've only dug up five percent of this action that existing site. But when I would when I started my research, and this is one of my I tell everyone screenshot 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 because I could not open an article that did not start with the following statement: Göbekli Tepe, throwing scientists off. 14 to 18,000 years old, 16 to 26,000 years old, 24 to 28,000 years old. Organics dated and found at the site could be 32 to 36,000 years old. And for the first 2 years of me writing every article that was there. So like if anyone wants anyone watching and listening wants to hit the Wayback Machine Mm. and start finding articles from like four, three and a half to five years ago, um, you're going to see a very different vernacular conversation about Gobekli Tepe. And then I was kind of surprised. He doesn't say it isn't. But for the sake of the Younger Dryas and making that point of it being potentially buried, I get that point that Gobekli Tepe may have been buried due to a flood. It may have been a flood at the Younger Dryas at that event. But what's interesting to me is that, and, and, and no capacity for everyone listening, was Gobekli Tepe dated to that period. It is predating that event. And then knowing that, Burton, what do you think of the rubble built between what are fairly decent looking pillars? Does it make sense to you that a single society would build those very decent looking pillars and then give up and throw a little rubble rock as walls around it and then a thatched roof
2: no yeah no it does not
3: <laughs> so some of the things just to kind of hit a lot of balls in the air at once one is i don't think gobekli tepe was occupied by a single group of people okay um you know yeah no no brainer right the roman empire may have lasted a thousand years but nothing's ever done it since or before we think uh the sumerians had it going for a little while but maybe um, maybe it was abandoned, maybe it was uh, or, or, you know occupied by a little uh, group of people and then re- you know like lost again or then occupied for 400 years. And either way, um, those are just some of the things I want people to keep in mind. The, the show I, th- I think the series is great because it, if you haven't seen it or heard it before, you want to have ideas and you want to, it's exciting to look back and go, our history isn't what we thought it was. But then at the same time, it's like, keep digging and mm-hmm. keep looking. That's, you know, because the vernacular and the way the phraseology, the way they place it in the documentary is, yeah, at 11,600 years ago, it was mysteriously buried. Yeah, possibly. Sure. But they don't say that it was built then, but they almost imply it, but they don't. Mm-hmm. But did you feel like it was like, oh, they built that 11,600 years ago?
2: It did seem a little bit implied. Yeah.
3: Right. <laughs> And, and I'm yeah. not saying, the point isn't, I, I'm a personal fan, I don't, for everyone out there, I don't, it's not, I, I like Graham Hancock's work, I like Randall Carlson's work, um, it, it has nothing to do with about critiquing their, it's, an, they have a big beast in the room that they're tackling, which is, I think, you know, to answer one of your questions earlier, Wayne, was, to get in front of standard academia the way that Graham Hancock and even Randall Carlson have been criticized for them to put together a program, which remember for everyone out there, this is commercial programming to make money, to get people interested, to get people excited. And so I don't think in this case, they're trying to mislead anyone, but at the same time, they're making a series to also have kind of a punctuation or a capstone, or at least a, a very heavy, a uh, shot fired over the bow of this is the human history we know there is a clear and obvious global event that happened at that point so it's there i, I don't think there's an argument that there was history prior but like you said they're they're hyper focused i think on being able to pull all the pieces together and state in a more social i would say that a, a tv show is now like a social media statement i think they're Able to state, hey, this show is making a case point study of why we need to take the younger dryas, that event, the biblical flood, more seriously, and something catastrophic, and can we prevent it? Should we be preventing it? Why are we, sh- you know, why is it suddenly finally at the top of NASA's list to shoot rockets or objects to try to move asteroids? I mean, have you guys been tracking this stuff a lot closer, lot? Yeah, sooner? the Dart Project. Mm-hmm. right? You know, and is there a sub program in that program where they're like, Oh man, that one missed us by 50 feet. Like how many, um, how many questions like that? Yeah. Should, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to get too far away from the question that's posted. Should we get, get at that?
0: Yeah. So, well, one thing I do want to point out is a, a lot of focus is on that younger Dryas because that, that's showing that is the, the end of the ice age. And there was something cataclysmic that happened. And one of my criticisms about this is they, they will talk about this, and I think this was on Rogan with Carlson and, and Hancock, about how once they dug down, uh, you know, for the Clovis people, for instance, they never found a bone of a Clovis person, but they found the tools and the remains of the Clovis people. And then they'd stop digging. Well, I can ask them that same type of question when it comes to Gobekli Tepe. Like, why are you stopping at this self-imposed barrier of the Younger Dryas and these flood events? Because those pillars do not look like they were uh, buried because of a flood. They are buried on purpose and supported by those smaller rocks. They, they're, To me, it's a time capsule. The people from ancient times are yeah. trying to send a story forward. And that thing was built. Way before the end of the last ice age, it had to be. It yeah, had to and, be.
3: and again, it's like you got five percent of a book open, you got five percent of the pages yeah. read. Um, it's a joke to make assumptions about, um, what does this pillar mean? What does that pillar mean? There's symbolism that is seen all around the world that is true, yeah. But then, what, what where's the funding? Uh, where is you know, Klaus Schmidt? Basically, the day Klaus Schmidt. For a lot of people who don't know, the guy who headed up digging at Gobekli Tepe is Klaus Schmidt, spent 44 years, dies of a heart attack in a swimming pool, and that's pretty much the end of it. There's been other researchers exploring what's been exposed, but they've built a semi-permanent structure over a site that should have extended digging plans, not, not extended tourism plans. I want them to get money for for that to to do that but the but the issue is where's the global archaeological uh here's our 1 3 and 5 year uh dig plan you know just like a business plan uh you know here's how we're going to grow the franchise uh here's how we're going to get to 10 20 30 40% and that kind of
0: goes to hellfire's point here about why isn't there more funding and resources put into digs I see it as just as important as uh space exploration 100%.
3: Yeah, there's there's a lot of reasons and I can tell you what I've heard directly from archaeologists. I mean, there's uh there is an obvious uh, uh you better find what we're looking for. now you know, you better not find anything that we aren't yes. looking for. There's that's that's problematic at Göbekli Tepe because if you have 32 to 36,000-year-old organics being found there, there is such an avalanche of storytelling to do to get us to that number. So let's just look at it at that sarcastic, critical point. Who, when you're fighting to get... This is... I feel like it's like... It's like Dirty Rotten Scoundrels with Steve Martin playing Ruprecht, like stabbing himself in the eye and being kind of a moron. And, and we're like in this archaeological version of square peg round hole... And, and, and being Ruprecht and not even quite knowing where the hole is. And just getting people to point out the obvious, that the Younger Dryas event, that there's this period, the biblical flood was real, that there was a actual catastrophic event at, at a year mark, but that's not the only one we've had. So just getting people to admit that one, then um, that that's a problem, right? So what do you do then with hey, we've dug up 50% of Gobekli Tepe and it's a massive city. Like I am shocked that they're trying to say that it's a, a ritualistic site. Yes, I, everything I just, is, uh, right? Uh, everything's a ritual. Everybody had time to uh, carve um, giant booby statues and it was all significant. They're all fertility goddesses. It's not some horny eighth grader in uh, you know fart flap time. Right. I made a I made a big boob statue. Look at mine. I mean, think (laughs) like a child. Think I got nothing to do. Dad's hunting deer. I'm making a big booby statue. No one ever. No one ever talks about that. Michelle, go.
1: (laughs) No, we just started Greek and Roman mythology, and I just had to have the conversation with my entire class about once we start seeing some of the statues and the visual representations of the gods and goddesses. (laughs) So, and. Every time it never gets, yep. it never gets yep. any easier.
3: Yeah, no. And, and that's, I, I think we get, we, we miscount that for what we're finding, but when you're dealing with truly ancient, it is an exception to become, I've, I've listened to some of the, you know, some of the best paleoanthropologists, uh, that at least they're, at least they're famous. There's a husband and wife team that are very famous for digging dinosaurs and going to Madagascar and they're, they're from Minnesota and they, they did a whole thing about how to become a fossil. <laughs> uh, they did a whole lecture about it and it's really hard. It is the exception to survive anything, let yes. alone be a fossil. And so if we're expecting the cosmopolitan magazines or the, uh, you know, the crap at the grocery store or our, even our recycling piles that are tons and tons and tons of spewing methane and giant, you know, earthen piles around the planet. Um, we really don't know what will be left in 20,000 years or 30,000 years or, you know, as things upheave and sink and what have you. And even if it's a plastic, um, we really don't know how much longer it's going to, you know, withstand. So at Gobekli Tepe, we have this, you know, this period back to the Younger Dryas, you know, what's going to survive in in a primitive time in the last 12,000 years, at least with primitive people. And then from prior to the Younger Dryas to Mount Toba going off 75,000 years ago, how was anything like, how occupied was it? Of those six, seven cities, how many villages or how many places in the middle existed? What were they built out of? What were they constructed from? What was Gobekli Tepe looking like when it was the most uh, originally built uh, space? Was it was it entirely stone walls? Were those stones quarried and used for someplace else? Or were they wood? Were they made of wood? Was the temple at what, or was the construction itself pillars with building materials uh, that, that, of course, would have rotted away or would have burned or molded and would have been taken away for something else. And I mean, we're, we're, we're not looking at it. We're not be, the due diligence right now with Gobekli Tepe would be better to talk about all the unanswered possible questions and how to fund those digs. One, find what you're supposed to find. Don't destroy someone's 40, 50 year hubristic career. They know they're wrong. They don't want to keep teaching. Uh, uh, they don't want to teach something new and they're afraid to admit that they're wrong, which is the wrong way to go at it. But that's a whole dialogue. Then funding archaeologically is based about controlling a narrative. That's another reason they don't get funded. And that's why it has to be on private parties. It has to be on groups that are willing to go at this without, um, I I, I think an agenda to have their paper published uh, by peers that don't want to get out in the field and, you know, you just, we're just not going to get there by agreement. We're going to get there by going out there and, 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 and really just having a hard look and going, look, someone needs to push and say, you're in charge of the site. Like, why isn't it in the news? Who's in charge of Gobekli Tepe? I can't tell you. Who's in charge of planning out the next uh, 20 acres of digging. Who is that person? Why is it that we don't know? Why is it so hard? It's never been a focus of Archaeology Magazine, or I'm just thinking of things that I read or National Geographic. How do we get those people to actually have a, a, something out there for all of us to go, oh, this this one guy's in charge of, here's what's happening at, at Gobekli Tepe. Here's the future of dig plants. Here's who's funding it, who would like to be involved that is not something we talk about. That's the kind of news for notaliens.com, for my site, for Not Aliens, or for our, you know, like the co-hosting and stuff I do. Those are the things I'm interested in is how do we get um, the news out that there are active sites, that there is ways to participate, there is ways to fund archeologists because they need to be paid to find what they find, not what is supposed to be found. And now we have nuclear DNA sedimentary archeology. span It's not that new, but it is. And it's finding like, you know, in a few grain, you know, like a pound of sand. It's like we found 187 fauna, uh, animals, uh, layers. How the hell are we going to deal with all of this? And and the answer cannot be, well, we need to wait until we have a holistic, complete technology that's just going to give us a movie screen view of every layer of sand that we dig. That's just not realistic. We're going to have to just go at it. And I know, uh, I don't know. Do we pause on that or go to bigfoot
0: (laughs) we could pause on that let's go to bigfoot so uh bmr one of our uh good buddies and he's part of the texas front porch crew um podcaster out of michigan specializing in the cryptids and things like that but he's asking does jared believe in some theories that we are in fact aliens from the future I think I know what the answer to that's gonna be, but uh Jared, what do you think?
3: Burton, we should make Wayne answer this.
0: <laughs> uh, I'll answer it,
3: sure. Uh will sound in.
0: Not not aliens. I don't I don't think we're aliens from the future. I think our I think our past, our humans selves in, in normal Homo sapien sapien form has been around for if I'm really conservative, let's just say a million years, they they keep on changing the number, but let's say a million years. Some people say yeah. 3 million, some say 300,000. All right. All right. I'll split the difference with you. Half a million humans. I'm
3: going to help you out. You, you, you go, you, you want to hit at least that three or 5 million number. um. But that's just by evidence in the ground, but keep going. Okay. So let,
0: let's say a million. All right. And Jared can come in and, and back that up. But, uh, so for a million years, you mean to tell me that humans in our current form have done nothing but run around in loincloths, if we were lucky, I guess, and kill things with spears Point and and, it, and did not kill ourselves off and didn't have any kind of society Of any type and with our brain size, come up with tools and things a lot earlier and build civilizations and stuff. That's that's my thing, is that we've been around for far too long. And look at what we did in the last hundred and fifty years.
3: Yeah, just at ten or way too long. Yeah. Ten or fifteen percent consciousness.
0: Right. And You know, uh, I just when you look at these buildings and and what they could do, I mean, if you want to get into Peru and Machu Picchu and and those polygonal blocks, you know, they they didn't just find those somewhere. Somehow those were created and carried down a mountain. They were they were quarried from a mountain 10 miles away down a mountain. Across the valley, then back up the mountain, to build these things, yeah. and okay, butt flat people are going to be <laughs> doing that. Guys in loincloths, right, with no kind of technology, it's impossible. Those people found these things, and then they lived on top of them. They they took it over. They built on top of them. But we're not we're not the aliens, but we probably had technology in the past that probably would make us look like it today. And then I would probably argue is that some archaeology digs probably have found some of that stuff and it doesn't fit the narrative. So therefore we shut it down. You guys are crazy. And then they, they kind of like Graham Hancock and, and uh, Randall Carlson because they only focus on, you know, 12,000 years ago. Uh, We can easily dismiss that. But what about when we were down and, and this is scientifically known. You can check our DNA. They they know this. We were yeah. down to about 10 to 12,000 mating pairs 74, 76,000 years ago. We're all related to the those survivors from and they relate they kind of connected to Mount Toba that blew up in Indonesia, a super volcano. And it it destroyed and wiped out a lot of the planet. Now, okay, if we were survivors from that, we had to, you know, we got kicked in the nuts. (laughs) We were down to 10,000 people. We had to rebuild again, but probably had a lot more things that, you know, that survived that time to rebuild. We get all rebuilt for a few, you know, 40,000 years. And then here comes the ice age. And then the Younger Dryas Impact happens. So, you know, that's my like my question. Why Graham Hancock, Randall Carlson, you talk about Clovis. People, why don't you dig past Clovis? Well, why don't you guys go back <laughs> further? Because it's well, there. That's you know, my point.
3: A, it, no, it's a great point. Uh, quick digression. When I booked my private tour <laughs> of the Galt Archaeological Site, the one of the owners and discoverers and managers of the site, uh, he, um, he declined the request from Graham and R- Rogan, we're going to go there. And I think it would have been to film, it would have been in the time frame. This was in late June after I was at Float Fest. Um, this definitely so Freeman from you know Freeman TV, f- um, Freeman and I were getting together, and so I put a group together. It was him, and it was just about eight of us. and, while we were there, while I was waiting for everyone, I got talking with uh, the um, archeologist and there are two things about Galt. One is they did dig past Clovis. There's a, a quite an abandonment layer and they hit a floor. So for everyone interested, it's a mastodon kill site, one of 19 in the Americas. And secondly, it has a stone floor from a civilization unknown. And that floor, and, and this guy is quite conservative in a lot of areas, in a lot of ways, that the way he can, you know, looks at the construction of ancient antiquity, and they're at least dating this floor to 22,000 years ago. And that's just one site in northern and central Mexico to back Wayne up. There is a site called Way at Laco that, uh, that again, Michael Cremo has talked about for years. Uh, Virginia Steen McIntyre and her, her not archaeological her dream team of really brilliant geologists conservatively at the time and it ended their careers c- dated a site in Way at Laco. this is human human activity these are not neanderthal these are not denisievan these are not a subhuman primate these are this is a human uh, site at the time they had conservatively dated 275 to 350,000 years old it has since now 40 something years later The evidence shows that this is a human occupied site that at a minimum is 350 to a half a million years old. That's one site, that's way at Laco. And and so there's a lot of places where someone has dug past Clovis and they found other things. And Michael Cremo, for everyone out there, the list of must have books. And I promise you, it looks boring, but it isn't. Michael Cremo's funnier, he's so funny. He has a dry sense of humor. But it is a very serious book, which is why he's in Archaeological Congresses. After 10 years, they published the book, Forbidden Archaeology. These are over 700 examples of paleoanthropological and archaeological research that shows human antiquity, which does not fit the narrative, which includes um, uh, the Red Craig. We're talking about sites in detail that Michael went back and visited, photographed a lot of the research and the elements, and found that you have... Um, from the time humanity started taking archaeological research seriously, there was something coming up that did not match the Darwinism theory, which was you had sites in the red Craig, you had sites from the Mediterranean to the Western United States that showed two and a half, three and a half million years, 15, 20 million years, and over 60 million years of antiquity of anatomically us human beings existing. And that goes all the way up, um, into a mountain during the early gold rush in California. And the reality is that those are real case studies of actual standard academic looks. And Way at has been picked up by new younger paleoanthropologists, which is astounding. Uh, The Galt site where Graham and Rogan were, were this, oh man, Dr. Clark, oh man, he was funny. He's like, I ain't letting them film here. And it's like, well, you want visitors, you know, you should, should have just let them film. Um, you have a site that's occupied like all around the world of these survivor people because 75,000 years ago, that genetic record you're talking about shows Denisovan, Neanderthal, humans, a mystery at the time, a mystery 2 to 3% human race that we are not sure who they are. They're a genetic human race and us, but they're human, but we don't know who they are. Could be the practice that nobody wants to have the balls to do a DNA test on. But either way, all of this bloodlines uh, mix and the standard academics a few years ago said it was 50 plus thousand years ago. They would not tie it to that super volcanic eruption. They would not tie it to those breeding pairs where it's like a bunch of survivors are just like, we're just going to kind of, we're going to wing it. We're going to make it. You know, apparently you got this crossover of these races blending and marrying together or, uh, you know, um, in reference to genealogy. And then this story of us isn't just about hey, well, we you know we have this natural museum photograph in our minds because we all went there as a kid or you saw the cavemen squatting around the fire and it's like well didn't you see the Neanderthal were idiots? Well, hold on, didn't aren't you describing them as having uh, denser bones, bigger brains, and they had um, uh, they were taller, they were they were stronger in every way and they had bigger brains, but they were dumber. I mean there, there there's a lot of digression. If the human brain, if you believe in evolution as we've understood it, why is the human brain so big? And you're you're telling me that if we only get things through a forced adaptation, then a oh we would not have the brains as big as we do if we're only 10 or don't I don't think the metric for for any conscious mind is well, you need to have this big of a brain to have 10% use. That just does not make sense. That's right. And I'm not a biologist. So <laughs> what what does that do then for Uh, a, a record where you have like Burton, we were talking about, um, well, you were mentioning there's paranormal, there's second sight, there's remote viewing, there's things in the ether that exist that do not make sense for our biotechnology in sleep mode to understand where you have people hearing voices, getting thoughts, getting messages, uh, thinking they've relived past lives. Is it their lives? Is it genetic stored memory? Is it in the ether? Is it part of a collective human consciousness? Are you downloading something that are very, you know, Carilion ph- photographable auroras are partially holding up and prompting? The reality is that we have this, um, we have such a broken perspective. And, and no matter what it comes, everyone has a, a certain bandwidth. So you, you can't, you gotta, you gotta have shows, like the apocalypse show. You have to have documentaries. We have to have these recorded podcasts. You have to have repetitive information where everybody can build their little pieces and expand their mind to to look globally. And aliens is exciting. So for Michigan Bigfoot, um, the issue isn't that there's not space traveling anthropologists. The issue is table all the facts of the world you're on and they are scary they're exciting and they are fascinating and they include um wim hof steeg severinson superhumans that are activating abilities along with the paranormal along with these other religions that have these feelings and sayings and things about what they know to be true but in our actual biology we're showing conscious control of our immune system we're showing with the Nazca lines terra preta that's all over the earth, this engineered soil that clearly a more advanced society terraformed it. And not only did they terraform it, they didn't just go like at Tiwanaku or like Titicaca, you're at 13,000 plus feet. They didn't just move giant six, 700 ton stones. Uh, they, they moved them up 13,000 feet from quarries over multiple mountain ranges and up to 75 miles at Aswan, they moved over a thousand miles to just sometimes not that many, but sometimes a thousand. And then at Baalbek, you have a quarry that's three kilometers from the Temple of Jupiter, which the you know this is where the trilithons are. And there's a stone left that this single stone was cut, and it was like it was dropped back in place, and it's 1,000 approximately 1,140 tons, and that was going to move three kilometers, but that was basically for that one, that was almost a flat shot kind of, but we have technology in the polygonal construction that says, Hey, if we put a building here and with all of our engineered soils and all those piezoelectric properties, so the buildings and us, and maybe it all connected together. But we know that if we build this exact shape, cymatically, we know how far, how many hundreds of miles deep and how many thousand miles over there's going to be an earthquake and when there is or when there's a disturbance or for this building at Tambo or Saqsaywaman or the Egyptian pyramids or you know wherever we find polygonal construction Easter Island all of it they built it to withstand that frequency energy but also to do wave propagation so they're not just defending against earthquakes they're sending signals under the ground and through soil systems and uh, you know nano sized or crystallized they're not just using black earth soil, terra preta. Th- this is a highly advanced procedure, not to mention the instrumentation required to not just cut and move stone, which no one can get their damn head around, but they're measuring energies and frequencies and building to suit where they are on the planet. We got to get our heads around this because the survivors of a global catastrophe or a weaponized uh, conflict or both 75,000 plus years ago, um, perhaps they had the low base energy frequency technology to uh, basically shake batter down lava that they didn't have to have a supervolcanic eruption. Maybe Mount Toba is a mismanaged global terraform event. A society that was globally terraforming and literally went on the fritz and one of the pressure points blew. What if it wasn't? What if it was something by the time we've been around for millions of years? Because if we've been around 60 million years, did we do this multiple times or did we do this once epically? And did we have indefinite lifespans? Um, That's a possibility. But speaking specifically to the excitement about UFOs, well, I saw someone and they don't look human. Yeah, go to the tattoo convention the next time you're in town and see the people with the cut tongues and the pointy, I mean, the body mods. I mean, it's ridiculous. Now give yourself a million years or a 100,000 with a gene crisper and tell me you can't turn yourself or instantly through nanotechnology program yourselves like Ray Kurzweil's and the singularity is near to be a translucent Infrared reading and seeing through your skin, communicating directly with your Tic Tac that can fly at Mach 22 on a point zero turn and tell me that being shorter and translucent and white and maybe the biotech within your human suit is more apt to control the technology you've created. And you say, oh, well, they're, they've evolved. No, they're programmed. If they wanted to look like us, they could look like us. We are them. They are us. And that is a much more, I think. It. I'm not saying that's what it, for everyone listening. I'm not saying that's who and what they are. Wayne already knows where I'm going. Burton's already guessing, but or already knows. And Michelle's just being so polite. the uh, the, the last thing I'm going to say on this is I think that it is difficult. It's easier for us to comprehend that these aliens are aliens and they're from somewhere else. It is more angering, frustrating, mind blowingly like sickening to think that our advanced ancient relatives are still here amongst us and the idea that they could cure cancer that they could cure death that that there is a way to connect this planet and terraform it back to a global conscious society is clearly not on their list of things to do or they're doing it in a way that they think is controlling the system And all this other stuff is like the ends justifies the means it's like, well, we'll fix it eventually, but it has to go, whatever, whatever those points are, we have to start with the evidences in the ground, the evidences in our rediscovered superhuman abilities. And if you table all those facts, then it isn't that there's not aliens or that these people could not be aliens. The issue is, are they just again, looking at the pile of all the clues do they look more like they're our relatives and they're actually from here, or do they really look like they're from somewhere else? And sure. and 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 looking at them is not gonna do it. And and those jerks, it's the reason it's worse, it's not aliens worse, it's us, is because I can't get around the idea that you have an anal probing Cartman-styled alien probing you, and it's really your great, great, great uncle. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, yeah, you know, they're at fourteen percent consciousness. Um, they actually think high speed blow dryers in a public bathroom makes sense. I mean, they're getting dumber. What do we do? Like, we keep we're we're trying to come up with a solution, but you know, can't fix stupid. So now what? You're
0: right. Oh man. Okay. So on that point, this would Wham. be a good place <laughs> for us to take a quick five minute break. Everybody get up, stretch your legs, go to the bathroom Get a drink And we will be right back with the show yeah, Screw you guys, I'm going home yeah, screw, you guys. <laughs> screw you guys, man Hey mom, make me a pie I Oh my, my god <laughs> Alright, we'll be right back, everybody
1: Another day is here, and you're ready for it What to wear? Check Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help
0: priest. Left everybody just three minutes. two minutes left everybody get ready two minutes everybody we're back all right we are back hopefully everybody had a nice break i'm gonna bring our co-host back in burton wow. Hey, man, welcome back welcome thank you yeah and my, my lovely co-host and wife michelle will be joining us in a few <laughs> minutes and let's bring back the the man of the hour or actually hour two
3: jared murphy what's up jared it's great
0: (laughs) just great (laughs) great all right so burton what else did you uh see in that docu-series by graham hancock and by the way i didn't know this but do you know graham hancock's son is an executive for netflix
3: i had no idea how we got the special oh (laughs) yeah
0: Yeah. he's still controversial but i did notice that they did start shadow banning uh ancient apocalypse on netflix you gotta actually search for it now it will not show up
2: i and i noticed that too i was like yeah. why the hell isn't it i thought it was trending or something i was like "Where yeah deal. it
0: was it was like number one or whatever yeah. and then the next thing you know it just disappears off the list you have to type it in to find it now that's so, so
3: interesting i didn't know that yeah that happened so there, today wayne yeah last days?
0: uh last couple days Yep.
3: Yeah, because I know that uh, Goodall and I, Jim Goodall and I, were watching it uh, over Thanksgiving, and it was doing what you said. He would pull it up and it would show up uh, in the top, you know, most watched, available, recommended for you. And, um, yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm doing more and more on Rockfin. Um, Jim and I just did a show for for that. Also, you can say what you want. So there's that.
0: Um, Yeah, it's really weird, man. It's like, you know, you've ruffled some feathers when you start to deal with this, but then it makes you wonder, what are they so afraid of? Are they that invested in everybody just being, just going through? I, I mean, I see my kids, I see my students with the, the cell phones in their hands. They walk around like little cyborgs. They don't use the cell phones for any real good information, it's all about entertainment and dopamine hits. And it's yeah, like, I
3: don't, I, I don't think they're that informed. I don't, no. I don't think that people, it's, it's way above pay grade to like, what do you need me to ban? Yeah, you know, it's just, or what do you need me to like? Hey, take these numbers and put it into this l, uh, this program list. That program list is a batch program that disallows searches or makes it you know it, it it gives it the personality it needs i don't even think the people pulling the triggers it's like again goes back to some nuremberg trials i was just following orders
0: well yeah i mean anyways burton we, we can go down that rabbit hole but i want to know more because i know you watch this show a lot i watched each episode now twice and uh there was also like a three hour Hancock and Carlson interview on Joe Rogan before this oh, came out. And they said some very interesting things about, well, at least Randall did, talking about some type of energy source and plasmoids and kind of getting into frequency. And when he started talking about, you know, this guy he's working with and frequency, I was like, uh oh, here we go. Where have I heard this before? You know, so they're they're discovering older technology, it sounds like, and Tesla came up and things like that. But Burton, what else did you see that uh interested you or you wanted to bring up?
2: That uh well, first of all, the uh it was really cool to you know, in the documentary it was kind of like because I wasn't expecting it. So while I was watching it, then they, they would occasionally have you know guests on like Rogan or Carlson. I was like, Oh, cool, I get to see them in this too uh so that w- that was really neat and i always like hearing from randall carson because he has a really great way of breaking down um what he finds you know what i mean like he can show you like the maps and the topography and everything and yeah he he, he is he what i would really call him a,
0: he he's an obsessive uh educator I, yeah. if i was to put a title on him he's very he wants to show you he wants to show you everything and sometimes it's information overload, but I mean looking at like the channeled scablands and things and you know talking about ripples and huge you know sand ripples and what happened I mean um, amazing stuff and he puts it all together. he's great at
2: that yeah yeah uh,
0: so I I mean I guess
2: the main one of the main other things that really Kate uh, stuck out to me. That I had never seen visually represented in this way before of how, uh, the you know the difference in the sea levels, especially going back to uh, the Bimini Road, um, how they you know do a graphic where they show the sea level being 400 feet lower. That's insane. That is an insane number. Like imagine if it was, uh, the Great Lakes were 400 feet. How much? You know what I mean? Like it, we'd have way more beaches like and that's
0: the point right that, yeah and where do where do societies and people like to live and where On is water. commerce yeah where is commerce easy and if you had a a global civilization that was trading uh things mm-hmm. you know across okay. the oceans and I mean, they used you know the the azores as a stopping point before yeah. they came over to north america you know yeah it it makes sense and now they're all flooded i mean here's the thing from an earth science guy uh there's a reason why we have natural gas drills and oil drills off the coast because those were plant like huge amounts of plants and animals that lived in those flooded areas that's a huge amount of land that was lost and jared can talk about something uh Close to this, and and they do this off the coast of England, and that is—is is it Doggerland? Is that what yeah. it was called? Yep. Jared, t- talk to us about that.
3: I mean, even six eight thousand years ago. I mean, it was significant eight thousand years ago. It was super significant over ten thousand years ago and pre Younger Dryas. You have a continent basically underwater from Scotland to France. Uh, significant amounts of valleys, um, rivers, creeks, basically. Hills, mountains, valleys, whatever, they even existed. I mean, we're talking like 6,000 years ago. You're you're looking at a society that may have been connected to Sumeria, the East. Uh, You have a whole continental coastal living system in the Baltic and the North Sea. It's all underwater, but it was coastline for maybe pre Mount Toba. So like pre-Younger Dryas, all the way to is to we we actually well okay yeah I mean there there have obviously been evolutions in four and a half billion years, but there is significant probability that you have a landmass that's underwater that shows signs of occupation, which makes things like the the Sarsen stones of Stonehenge. And I'm only saying it, I hate bringing up popular places, mm-hmm. um, but. Very large, mantled, megalithic constructions that are made out of silicretes. I'm talking about the oldest, most ancient Carns dolmens, uh, structures that are probably evident of extreme human antiquity and weathering that represent smooth, advanced polishing and cutting machines. And those stones were kicked, dragged, cut, chopped, and turned into like squirrel temples, Um, Those stones, I think, at the center, which is really what we see above water now, were really the surviving elements of what was a much more coastal society. And we're assuming we're the biggest population on Earth, that at 8 billion people, this is it. We've come further. Um, Based on Terra Preta, not even as Terra Preta uh, for a measure of how much food we could grow. The reality is that the entire human population, if you give them an acre, will fit in about three Texases, not yeah. even three. Yeah. So you can give them an acre. There are whole YouTube videos for out, and I say YouTube because they are specific to YouTube. There are videos out there of people who have commercial greenhouse farming. They're doing basically urban. They're they're producing two hundred seventy to three hundred fifty thousand dollars a year in profit off of an acre, or two. Wow. And, and and so if you put humans in double-story towers, you're down to a Texas and a half. And when we think about the human population now versus what if we rewind and pre-Younger, not pre-Younger dryas but pre-Mount Toba, what if when the Sphinx was built, there was billions and billions of people not spread out randomly and and not not unfed and in chaos between a first, second, and third world, but a connected collective human population that um, ate very nutritiously in a way that sustained the planet. And they may have polluted it to a point, which is I think one of the functions of terra preta is that it 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 filters heavy metal, it filters carbon dioxide. It's doing that now. It's it's not like it went dormant when the society disappeared. And it's in north africa it's in south africa i mean i was there where it was in south africa near uh michael tellinger and stone circle lodge and you know i was there for a month doing research and I, I was on the plains where there's hundreds of thousands of kilometers of of dynastic ruins that nobody talks about that may have something to do with the stuff at gobekli Tepe. but all of it together represents an advanced society that was clearly like man we did something to the air well hey Here's a sustainable growing method and uh, an energy transfer uh, material. It'll blend in with other soils. And then, um, you know, here we are. Here, here we are now with uh, this perspective that, oh well, you know, we're at eight billion people. We're the biggest we've ever been, and mm-hmm. there's a whole rabbit hole for us to die on <laughs> for an hour.
0: So. I mean, I mean, I know we've only just basically hit hit it a little bit on uh, Terra Prada. Do you think that was the original uh, reason for Terra Prada? Was because we actually had a very large human population, more than we had here, and we needed, or people back then needed, a way to grow a lot of food.
3: I, I don't think we consume the way that we do now. I think yeah. that the, I think like the Sumerian Kings list and the biblical references of the second oldest name in the Bible is Jared. Uh, Jared lived about three years less than Methuselah. So whenever he says you're as old as Methuselah, I, I'll take Jared. I mean, Jared only lived three less years, so I almost hate a grand. And, <laughs> and then you got the Sumerian Kings list saying, well, these literally the, the Kings list for everyone who doesn't know, it's not one list. It's multiple lists. It's found all over, um, And on it, it says, well, pre-flood, there were eight kings and they ruled for 32,000 years each. And everyone thinks, oh, that's an allegory. You know, they didn't didn't really live 32,000, 36,000 years each. That's just not a thing. You know, but it shows that after that, there were many um, kings on the Sumerian list that one ruled for 8,000 years or 5,000 or 6,000. I put the list in my book so you can look at the numbers. And I was always fascinated that what if it had to do with this worldwide global system that could support life? differently than we do now as it shut down or the last of the most nutritious not just nutrition as in food but the energy fields anything that had to do with living around megalithic constructions that had any health benefit still worked in its most dilapidated state to extend life what if those ages are actually representative of true life events that 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 as the final um, energy system shut down those people eventually lost uh, the longevities or the the ages. And so if you picture a society that didn't have sickness, that didn't eat or consume exactly the way we did, you know, that their mouths were more of an input device and more of a, uh, instead of crushing up a 10,000 pounds to make an essential oil to find a tincture or a homeopathic cure, you just literally could be in the presence of the vibrational energy on not only engineered black terra preta, but on other nanostructures and engineered soils that are part of a humming, drumming, uh, functioning planet that is helping tune you and any cells that are out of place, which is, Royal Rife's research that got turned into Anthony Holland's research, which got put on a Ted talk. And there he is with frequencies and energy destroying leukemia and MRSA and, and, and 60, 70 other bacteria and, and, and viruses. Meanwhile, you can go to England and get an ultra high fun, a, a ultra high frequency uh, treatment for cancer. That's standard practice there. They actually do that. They know about it. They do it. And we only have a few centers that do it here. So I think that society was functioning at a level of, um, uh, I do know, proactive and not dying may have been part of that program, but eating the way we look at it or go, oh, they were dumb and they polluted the planet. I think like everything we find, Terra Preta has multiple purposes, filter air, filter heavy metals, th- but maybe that's accidental. Then there's grow nutrient dense food, self-replicate, have communication and PZ, you know, has that, has that, ability to connect, uh, frequencies that are resonating through stone spheres and other technologies that have disintegrated and people and connect the buildings, connect the different structures, connect the different city systems. Um, all of that is gone, but the connections of the soil, I think we have to ask ourselves when you, it's like, I have a question about this new thing. I learned, let's look at the giant pile of evidence. How many? Not one. How many different things on this giant pile of evidence is does this new thing we found match up with? You know, and that includes I found dynastic people stuff in the last six or ten thousand years to younger drives. I have now found survivor repurposing, readaptation of Gobekli Tepe, of Machu Picchu, of of you know things that. The Greeks, the Aztecs, Megalithic Japan, they all went, the gods built it, the gods built it, the god built it. Okay, so checkbox there. Or is it an old Megalithic, like, don't know how they did it, you know, and soon they figured out the earthquake energy. This whole building has to be at least as old as the Sphinx, and then the Sphinx has to be X much older. And then we have that giant city off the coast of Cuba that's 2,300 feet deep in the water. That's a pyramidal city that may have terra preta that's never been touched by dynastic mayans Olmecs, toltecs growing corn or whatever and you know we're doing sedimentary dna testing out of water around Doggerland. what happens when we get down 2300 feet deep and have robots that are pulling up the sedimentary indication that yeah yep yep there's terra preta here and now yeah. that city was above water at least fifty thousand years ago so how many other cities off of off of england scotland does that pile of evidence point to not only their antiquity, but does it plug into something you would call or someone out there, if you guys are listening, would you, would you call it paranormal? Would you call it, uh, oh, that's remote viewing, the military, the CIA, they you learn how to do that. That's a thing. And then well, is that quantum technology that's been programmed in our DNA? Are you out there getting um, uh, downloads and you're, you're getting, um, you know, you have connections to the past or is it, you having genetic recall of a zip file of someone else's life. And is that part of a, a, a built program system from literally a million years ago?
0: Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm telling you genetic memory is the same thing as instinct. It's the same reason yeah. why animals get born, you know, and everybody's making a big deal about this, but it's like, okay, a a, a baby deer, right. A fawn gets born. And what does it want to do? It wants to stand up. Why? Why Why does it want to do that? Because in its genes, its genetic memory says, learn to get up and run so you don't get eaten right now. Uh, so what yeah. is our genetic memory? Well, you know, I used to do a thing to my students in, in I'm going to kind of. You're on the air. I, I know <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be nice, but. <clears throat> um, it, it's cruel, but not. The kids kind of liked it once, uh, You know, they, I explained to them what I was doing, but I was talking to them about this same kind of idea, uh, last year after we came back from COVID and I was like, yeah, you know, look at this area. Does it look like it was flooded or not? You know, we were looking at topographic maps of the U S and, and we got into genetic memory and I was telling them about, you know, instinct and stuff like that. And they're all looking at the maps. I got them distracted and I took a very large plastic snake. And I threw it up and over them. So it would land right in front of them. And about 70% of them jumped and ran and about 30% of them stood there and looked at it. I I did a little experiment and I said, why did you run? I thought it was a snake. I was scared. Why? And why did 30% of you stand there and look at it and go, oh, that's not real. So. You know, why, why are you programmed to run from something like that? Because we are something that has bright colors on it. Right. And it's, it's reptilian and slithery and, oh, we got to be scared of that. Why, what, what is it in our genetic recall that, mm-hmm. that is, you know, your instinct that is telling you run. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it wasn't, you know, The best kind of psychological experiment (laughs) and stuff I could do, but it's kind of true. It's like why, why do we do this stuff? And 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 to your point about Terra Prada, a criticism I have of this show is that Graham talks about it for about thirty seconds and says it's you know in the Amazon when it's found all over. Yeah, do enough on that. Yeah, and Jared, you know correct me if I'm wrong. They have no idea how this stuff was. They know it was created cause it's not natural, yeah. but they don't know how, right?
3: No, they, 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 the soil scientists have been, uh, trying to replicate its functionality. And so they have to a point, you know, they've, they've been able to mimic it to what they understand of it, but no one's been ever to repeat it. Uh, <laughs> they, good uh, one hellfire. Uh, uh, yeah. So the, so yeah, there's, there's this, um, absolute elephant in the room of the vastness of engineered soils around the earth, the vastness then of an unknown society that must have occupied or maintained it. And even better there, you know, the way we look at our archeology span now as well, there's no society, there's no, there's no building there, you know? Well, okay. So if the entire human population fit in three Texas's, what if that's how they lived? What if the rest of the planet was a terraformed garden? What if it really was a garden? What if the what if the um, truth of Eden is that humanity did live in a very connective way, and did uh, travel and 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 spread through the earth in a way that was um, a terraformed conscious? Um, we, we it's difficult because I'm jumping between new ideas of. When I say nature, I'm talking about biotechnology we don't understand, not a matrix, actual terraformed creativity in systems that plugged in to, uh, you know, a society that may not have physically been everywhere, but they, they needed the soil, they needed the connections, like laying an intercontinental cable. A lot of people don't understand that they literally laid cable on the ocean floor. I don't know how people don't get that. I mean, it's, it's mind blowing. I mean, the, the feat of it that they laid a cable with a phone line in it so that we could talk to England. Um, yep, it, 100%. It's, it's so incredible that that's how we connected the planet. Well, how the heck were they doing it back then? And, and so the complexities of these undiscussed systems Uh, And again, there's a lot of papers on Terra Preta. Well, some will be courageous enough to say, well, it has all these properties. Well, that's quite a mystery. Uh, More will need to be looked into. And they don't want to not get funded so that we can make apple orchards or wheat or corn. And there's biochars that are modern. But you don't end a paper with, uh, you know, an ancient advanced society built the most advanced soil on earth. And it seems to have multifunctions. You don't say that, but you suggest it. Which some of them have, so that's all an interesting digression. I, I, I mean, everyone, I think, should be excited about the new series, and just if they're interested, it's a, it's a way. Again, it's just something new that's, it, it it's well done. It's worth watching, but they also can't, they can't go at every single uh, idea.
0: Not yet. Um,
3: <laughs> no, but they're they're going at the. Uh, you know, we'll do that. The uh, I yeah. think that they're just. You know, they focused on an event that has historical significance that people still cannot agree on. And ironically, like you said, 150 years of us being advanced. The reality is that a lot of what we said about archaeology has changed. I mean, we were using long metal rods and pounding them in the ground. And when they would hit a hollow spot, they would decide to dig. I mean, archaeology is gross and primitive. And then they're like, oh, you got to respect a site. No, you have to not let me dig because if I did, I'd prove you wrong. And it shouldn't be that. It should be, here's another pile of truth. Let's get rid of this fog of bullshit. And let's go to this level of truth and this level of truth. And and instead of looking at it and being, hey, I contributed to the truth, they look at it and say, you've taken away from my career. You've taken away from what I teach. You've taken away my money pile. And I think it's the wrong way to look at it. I've mentioned this before, but the last thing I'll say on it is uh, Las Vegas had it. I got obsessed with learning everything about Las Vegas in the early 2000s. And one of the things that they were afraid of is that if you taught the average person how to gamble, that they would, of course, then steal. And statistically, they would steal too much. Eventually, they got over that and they started teaching people roulette and they started teaching people craps and they started teaching people how to play. And lo and behold, once people didn't feel stupid because they wanted to play, Vegas started making more money than ever (laughs) because... People weren't afraid to play. And so they end up now, of course, teaching people to play. And And I think what's so amazing is that if we take a number of very, in quotes, allegedly prestigious schools and say, okay, well, they're all worth billions of dollars and they don't need any more money. And what human being currently, unfortunately, like that instinct with your snakes doesn't want power or money. And so wouldn't it be neat? if they started competing by opening franchise, uh, Harvard's, Oxford's, Yale's only, uh, who are you? Well, I'm Yale camp 36. We had the five-year project to uh, un-tropify and dig through this one acre in the Amazon. And, oh yeah, we were right next to 187 and 911. And, oh, yeah, you guys were the group competing with literally a four-year international Olympics on learning about our past, formed by associative structures of institutions that have right now the initial amount of money to handle a scaled project that puts every known archaeological site on a schedule to say we will be at this level of knowledge and this level of clearing And imagine if they had uh, satellite campuses, like we have McDonald's or Chipotle's or McDonald's. (laughs) And that's what they're not getting. They think they're rich and powerful now. And they think it's by controlling a narrative that is so embarrassing and so out of touch and so out of date. We could end murder against each other, religious warfare, and make people more powerful and rich if that's what they think they want. Granted, of course, we're going to develop our consciousness and they're not going to get the power they want because we'll be all reactivated but I think there is a sweet spot here of these institutions benefiting more that uh, uh, that they could actually, uh, I think benefit just so much by actually instead of going for a four-year degree, I mean, just basically you never leave college. you you pay or are paid to participate, on a lifelong quest of rediscovery, where you're self-experimenting, you're participating. Like, what if the build, what if the dig schedule for your site is currently hundred years, and then one of you comes along in five years and turns it into a fifty-year schedule and turns it into a twenty-year schedule, or what if you thought it was a a, a five-year dig that's going to be a hundred-year dig, and how do you add and build? The support teams, the structures, the financing, the backing, the movies, the endless documentaries, the podcasting that could be done on the collective um, snapshot of humanity—I mean, you see where I'm going? In That's, a nutshell, yeah. That'd be wild, wouldn't it?
2: That would be really crazy. That's a really great idea, actually. <laughs> and yeah.
3: I, I, wow. I—I I would. I—I I think we can live to see it, but. Um, they're really, you know, there's a joke that archaeology changes at the rate of the death of one archaeologist at a time. (laughs) That's it. And, and it's so, and, and we got all these guys from the flying saucer world, you know, from the fifties, you know, all these people who are like, well, everything good is in, you know, it's, uh, Greeks, it's Sumerians, Greeks, and Romans in the West, you know, and then there's those silly Asian, uh, countries with some history that blah, blah, blah. They're no big deal. Oh, really? (laughs) I mean. Chinese medicine seems to have some really badass applications, and I think those Chinese, uh, the Japanese megaliths all the way through Japan to China to they, yeah, I think there's a story here that we're missing down to Jakarta and the world's largest pyramid, and you know, there's there's just this um this this lack of marriage between the two East and West, and I think we're
0: well. There's I so much. Yeah. I mean, there's just you know. Well, one of the first things that you were talking about that, that made me want to jump in here is, you know, we accept with our technology things moving at the speed of light. There there are just certain things, right? Technology has to improve every year. You got to have a new cell phone. You got to have a bigger color TV, yeah. more 4K, 8K, you know, faster computer, all of this stuff. So there, there are things that improve and that we update you know that's like oh yeah that's great but then when it comes to something like this like something that is serious about where humans were what really happened it it, it's just you know uh, everybody's like no 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 we can't we can't talk about that are you kidding me we'll have people walking around this planet thinking that atlantis was real
3: well well It's so funny. Yeah, right. But it's so funny. It's like they were there many, many, many. I mean, it might be super like tragic. What if there were hundreds of billions of people on the planet? Can you imagine how awful it would have been if one minute they're there and then there is this catastrophic volcanic event or, you know, something pre Mount Toba that it was a weapons thing, that it was a, um, Boy, I just it would be it's, it's just the level of nightmare that we think we understand. Yeah. Why we why do we run up the ba- you talk about genetic memory? Why do we run up the dark basement steps faster and faster and faster? You right. Know, yes. What what the hell is that tied to? Why well, the hell did we all want to get out of the basement so fast?
0: Well, yeah, you know, and uh, just real quick, I want to say welcome to Barry, who's here. Hellfire is still stuck around, which is cool. And he asked a question about using LIDAR technology now. Um, Are you using a lot of that? So um, Rick Davis has joined us now. So thanks for joining us, Rick. He brings a very unique perspective. Um, But, you know, my thing is when we look at this evidence, we look all around the world (laughs) We have the quote unquote over 150 plus creation myths that talk about a flood situation. We have pyramid structures. We have terra preta that's found everywhere. We have huge megalithic sites that are telling us some kind of story. And Jared, I know you're a builder. We talked about this before. And um, you know, we, we, were those actually like a foundation of something that was outside of them? You know, what we see yeah. is is the foundation, right? Is like the guts, like everybody talks about the pyramids had the casing stones, so it was smooth and it, you know, they were polished and they would glow in the sunlight. At least that's <laughs> what they think. But what if it was still something else? That is the core to something else. Yeah. Um So, yeah, so that's kind of where my mind went. And I've got a theory on the megalithic blocks. And, Jared, you just triggered this in my head. When you were talking about Mount Toba blowing and then all of, you know, maybe there was 100 billion people on this planet that were wiped out in some kind of a terraforming accident, you know. And I'm thinking maybe that's how they made the megalithic blocks. They turned volcanoes into like a foundry. And they could form, you know, instead of the, the polygonal uh, geopolymer type of situation, they were actually using the volcanoes for that. I don't know. Just a thought.
3: You know, it's interesting. It's, it's interesting. You know, it's like, again, I relate back to that pile of evidence and go, okay, how, how do you shape something? And why use this diorite? Why do you use this rose granite? Why use this basalt? Why use this quartzite? why did you layer it the way you did how how was that foundation directly under that structure but then out from the structure how were they sifting and what soils and what bacteria and what fungus and then what crystal and like how deep did they go and for all these times that we go oh yeah the great pyramids on a uh it's on a uh, you know it's a solid surface yeah well the it was current made- building code re- You know, was it pre-compacted? I don't think people understand. Pre-compacted, when you build, means like right now in Michigan, Minnesota, that area, when you go to pour below the frost line, you pre-compact the soil to 90% compact. Well, that sounds weird to people, but what that means is is it's almost a rock. You're pre-compacting clay, dirt, sand, whatever you got. You're putting a tamper on it. You're tamping it till all the space packs it so that it's at 90%. Why, if you can move a 1,000-ton block, are you not capable of either moving in not only a giant 900-ton block from 75 miles and up to 13,000 feet through mountain ranges or 1,000 miles or hundreds of miles or whatever? Why the hell aren't you capable of moving billions of pounds of sand, billions of pounds of a material that was once in the Grand Canyon And now it's the entire substructure of a cityscape that has been wiped out, no longer exists, but that sand was perfect with that building material, that geopolymer, with those keystone cuts, with that zigzag pattern, with those stone spheres of the right size and this much terra prate and this much other engineered soil. Why would they not be able to either move that amount of soil, crush it or a rock or a quartzite combine it directly under the structure to create the different layers for the connectivities to those systems, but also then sift out around a system for a metropolis. And that's what some European scientific papers, I write about all of this. I have references for all of that. So if when, you know, when my new book comes out, that's definitely available in it, but I've talked about it before (laughs) that research is out there. So we are talking about a very advanced group of people that, again, people there, they did it. And those, um, grant or like just basically these, oh yeah, they built this, uh, building on top of this rock. Well, was it, was it a rock or did they sift it into a 100% compacted material, which IE you now call a rock, but did they make it that how, how many times did they do that? Why is America the least occupied with anything other than some dolmens in Montana? I'm not talking about dynastic culture stuff or even a half a million year old campfire. I think there's always been primitive people. So what does that say um, about the Americas? Are we polygonal constructions that are as ancient as the ones in Egypt? They're all over the earth. They include Latin and Central American. I bet there's even stuff here. But maybe we're looking at the most wiped out, blast patterned, you know, weaponized. Uh, conflict pre Mount Toba. Maybe the reason we don't see that. I mean, there's a lot of roads we can go down. I don't feel like I'm being much upper right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I just, I I can't help but connect, you know, the fact that all around this planet, we are finding pyramids. Now, some are different, but there's something to do. And I cannot buy that. Everything is a a, a stupid worship site or some type of a temple. I just, I can't buy into that when, so, okay, let's say if you're you're true on that, if you're telling the truth about that, then that means that societies all around the planet that we're not talking to each other or connected in any way, built pyramids then of various shapes and sizes for the same purpose, Everyone right? was doing it.
3: If I ask you right now, will you go jump off a bridge if everyone else is doing it?
0: Absolutely not.
3: I mean, just what, what's the, what is the possibility of, uh, you know, you're building with the same keystone cuts, the same polygonal construction. And then they're like, well, it's slightly different. Yeah. Everywhere on the planet, frequencies and energies and things like Egan values, uh, for Mr. Mrs. Science teachers, the, um and or like educators, the reality is that one of the first and foremost functions of Pi is Egan values. And, the, and that means frequencies. It means calculating why would this pyramid at this point on earth connect with this other structure and how, how would we need it to be a fifth or a quarter or an amplitude or a, to whatever it's doing with the frequencies and waves, they're using math that's related to frequency and energy. and and yet again, we end up in this digression with some people. and if, and again, I'm all about hello, welcome to your past and future and present and 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 how you plug into it, it. It's all these different, you know we have to deprogram what your family of origin is and and how you grew up in the deified, mystified, you know, like you have a system. Everyone has an experience and you have a level of the minute you go into this, you you only know what you know. And there's nothing wrong with that. And and the very, if you have a connection that is connecting you to the ether and connecting you to the human consciousness, or you're getting downloads, you should keep exploring it. There's no wrong here. There's no right. It's just, we are all connected. We all have a piece of it. We're all feeling it and these hunches. And it's like, we're to something. And and yet there we are, you know, we're literally standing on the the cockpit of these advanced ancient machines. And we're like, I think this is more interesting than I... I thought we were just walking outside,
0: <laughs> right? Or like you yeah. say, uh, banging, banging on the blinky board. Of you know, that
3: just came up for the first time in a while. I just yeah. brought that up with someone, and and that's the thing is that you come out of one modality and then you experience something new that's very advanced or ancient. You think it's paranormal, or you think it's uh you know, again, it's a you're having some connection with. Um, an ancient system. And, and if you came out of one modality, it's like, well, God forbid banging on the blinking board. Here, here's, the, here's the worst part. I used to say like, well, what if you bang on the blinky board and you guess better than 50-50 and your entire religion's based on the bl- blinky board, right? <laughs> uh, you don't want anyone to tell you it's 747 or that it's a cockpit. But worse, I think this is more exemplified in religion is, you know, you're only right 25% of the time and you treat it as if it's a deity or a mystical thing. But the blinky board, you know, by... Making you only twenty five percent right, you have these incredible human storytellers that will say, "Well, if you had been better, God would have not punished us." <laughs> and before you know it, that twenty five percent, like, hey, twenty five percent of the time we get the yellow light or the red light, and well, well, God's just angry if we get the red light, or you know. So I don't even think it matters if you bang on the blinky board and you have this uh, modality, this experience where you're like, well. I should have been more meditative. I should have been more connected. I've been eating badly. I'm I'm not working out enough. I'm not meditating enough. I'm not faithful enough. And those aren't I think they're not wrong questions. Those are that's where we're at. I think they're just um they're 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 your 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 truth in this or your experience of it. You're getting true results, but they're just paralleling a, a completely non-related function of the machine. You're just, it, it does parallel it. It's just not the the facts. So, and, and I, I don't know, there's no tipping point, I think, for people to jump out of it. It's not like you can't have a faith, a religion, a meditation and say, well, you know, this is something helping me reach uh, nirvana. I mean, you know, can't really take that away from people. Yeah, but what if um, you're
0: doing that meditation and prayer and stuff on top of a gigantic plot of terra preta?
3: Or, you know, right? Or and there's the thing, there's a question it's like how much of this deactivated system is still activatable or is can put a draw into where you're at? And which brings us to the point: why are there certain areas of the country? Why is there so many weird creative things in Minnesota, Wisconsin, that area? Why are there so many um, social Or, you know, when you think about General Mills, Pillsbury, 3M, uh, Lockheed Martins, uh, even though they built the SR-71 Blackbird, a lot of the control devices came out of Honeywell. But you have modern, modern flower, the Medtronic, the first pacemakers. Why are there so many brilliant, weirdly talented and interesting things that have just come out of Minnesota and they're sitting on top of a ton of biochar? And how much of that system when you and I and everyone around the world who's listening to this, that there is this thing where it's like, Hey, you know, we're all pretty all right, but this town over here or this high school class or this group of people that they, they just seem to be a little more coordinated. And it's not just that they're more athletic. There's just, or more talented. There's just, I think there's something to where we live as to whether you are completely removed from the ancient technologies and you're like it like, or it was somewhere and you're in the desert. And you're no longer stepping on it or a part of it. You've, 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 you're not on a ley line that is not active, but it's still part of your genetic code. Like can, your cellular system can still pick it up. Like, are you still on one of those ancient ley lines? Are you still on something that connects to the Nazca, to the Bolivian, to the India, uh, you know, to the Jordan Nazca lines? Well, those kind of you know bio circuit systems. I mean, there's a lot of layers here, and when you look at it, it's like, are are we navigating this quite unintentionally? through our lives and having more success or energy, not just because we're conscious of being in those systems, but we just are lucky enough to have been born or in that area. And I got to wonder just one of the many questions. Yeah. <laughs> well, I
0: think we, we had talked about this before and it was, uh, you know, where did Elon Musk grow up? Wasn't it South Africa?
3: in South Africa? South Africa. Yep.
0: And wasn't that area known for the Terra Preta soil? There's a
3: lot of there's a lot of it there. Yeah. 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 And and so how how much hellfire? uh, I'll get
0: to your question in a minute.
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: So hellfire asks, or he says, "I think the pyramid is just the tip of the actual structure. Earth is so geographically active; our history is all under the dirt or sand." hell hellfire uh is inside of my head right now that
2: tripped me out when this popped up because this was a thought i had earlier today while i was watching one of the episodes uh and it said something like graham said something along the lines of talking about egypt and like before it was all buried under sand and that thought popped into my head i was like what if we're just seeing the top of the actual structure it's it's a crazy thought but like think about how like the tops of castles look You know, pointy and stuff like that, or like a massive great wall. Uh, What if that's what? What if there's more underneath? I don't know. I just it's just really weird when I saw that pop up. I was on the fence about bringing it up.
0: (laughs) Well, you know that that's uh, that's a good point. And you talk about that. I'm sitting here thinking I'm going to ask Jared about ley lines. I'm going to ask Jared about ley lines, about ley lines. And then what did he just bring up? He brings up the you know talking about being activated if you're close to a ley line. Yeah, but um, to Hellfire's point in um, talking about underneath the sand, I do know that Ben from Uncharted X, Ben Van Kirkwick, who I've had on the show before, does awesome in the field research and on these things. Um, he was talking about there being channels that look like they could be water channels underneath the pyramid, so there's like a functional uh some type of grooves or something that were underneath stone floors underneath the pyramid. Um I haven't seen them. I'm a, I've got to go back through his stuff, but obviously this thing you know was some type of a resonance machine or or you know what what do we vibrate at uh the Schumann residence or resonance isn't that what it yeah Jared yeah. so um and Jared, we talked about this before, and you want to talk about things under you know under the ground let me see if I can pull this up um, well, I oh here we go this thing right here Burton, do you recognize that
2: it, I mean it looks
0: like. says grand gallery
2: yeah it looks like it's it looks like it's something that's set up like uh like on the left there uh, Mm -hmm. like a hallway and rooms like honestly it almost kind of looks like a blueprint of like uh uh some of the haunted locations that i've i've researched over the years from the sky it looks like like maybe a prison or an asylum or something like that Ah,
0: that's that's interesting that you bring this up jared you know what this is
3: i do maybe look at it this way burton like um and And maybe for you guys too, Michelle and Wayne, think of it as a hospital
2: Hospital. I was also gonna say this is this also reminds me of like from the sky view of uh, I, I live very close to Michigan state university uh, and and it look it reminds me of kind of like some of the maps I've seen of MSU before.
3: yeah, think of it as um multiple chambers of hyperbolic chambers uh, that you oh. could maybe get in or maybe after a catastrophic human failure the zip files that make you you know like what if these are ancient uh basically these are the remnants of a more advanced hospital it was my one of my thoughts hospital. yeah, yeah. The, um, this
0: is actually sakara those okay. those black squares you see there are those gigantic black granite
2: boxes. Oh. Yes. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. And that's that's the one main gallery that they have excavated, and they have found that there's offshoots deeper with those same megalithic, you know, perfectly cut boxes.
3: Well, so they're 30 to – so picture this one, Burton and Michelle. They're um 30 to 60 ton, tons. And they hyperbolically seal. They blew one open with, they want to know what was in it. They blew one open with dynamite. That was a, that's how archeology span got done dynamite. <laughs> and yeah. these things are carved out of single stones and they've been researched by Christopher Dunn. So he wrote the Giza power plant. I don't know. Did you get to interview him? No, Guys? not okay, yet. Okay. So I've gotten to meet him personally. I've, I've interviewed him and he has my book. He asked for my book. It was so funny. He was like, I'll pay you for it. I'm like, Chris, I'll I'll send you the book. <laughs> yeah, the Giza um,
0: the Giza power plant.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. so the whole thing is, you know, there's a very famous internet photo. It's not very hard to find. I mean, it's not easy to. It, it's very easy to find. It's um, uh, you can actually see there is polish. There is a there is an epoxy on the hyperbolic chambers. Uh, well, hyper. You know, they they conceal perfectly. But how did any, how did anyone Think about it, giant box, somebody cut a lid, cut down, cut out, they cut the lid out of an, I don't know how they did it. It's crazy. But the biggest ones in some of the new areas, which I've talked to a lot of, about a, a lot of people who've been down in here, and, and this will relate back to Ben in a second, but uh, uh, Scotty Allen Roberts, who's written nine books, he's been down there and into the sections where At the time, a couple of years ago, Burton, they found a chamber. So, okay, those black boxes, some are 30 to 60 tons, but the one, one of the ones that they recently found is 120 tons and they get, they get bigger. And then there's one in a hallway that you have to walk around when you go looking. And at the time, uh, I finally got a chance to what, so Jimmy from bright insight, uh, Ben from uncharted X and, uh, a few other people there quite famously, there's a lot of videos out there. you familiar. Have you guys all heard of Yusef Awan? Yes. No. Okay. Okay. So Yusef's family are not only been with archeologists, but they, there's one of the small, by the way, that's one of those, that one's not the 120 ton. That one's like the 60 ton. And that's the one that, um, and it's precision built. Yes. Uh, we're talk- Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So that thing Burton has, uh, Christopher Dunn was a machinist and, uh, um, uh, did airplane parts where uh, Christopher Dunn, his whole point when you see Christopher Dunn is not only can you see his reflection because it's so well finished on the interior, uh, you can see him like it's a mirror and it's thousands of years old, but you can see um, with his uh, measuring uh, instruments, there there's just the planing and the, the detail that's been done, only a machinist could do to the level there. It's it's down to nano flat perfect. The technology, like we, we never digress into this, there, there, When I say there's evidences out there, it would take us, we've skipped ahead 500 hours of random research for you to start looking at these chambers and these containers. And one of my good friends, Jen Deo, she uh, was down here. And Youssef used to be part of a group. Now, he, of course, works with the Khemet Institute, which is what I don't know if a lot of people out there know, but Egypt is Khemet, And so the Khemet Institute does a lot of this crazy real research. And Youssef's family, of course, has been involved in touring and, and in archaeology and research for I don't know many generations. Mohammed um, uh, Ibrahim uh, used to they used to be partners, and Mohammed uh, was talking about this this area. These are and we're going to talk about Egypt being underground. So I'm going to answer a couple things. One is um, Scotty's been down in there and seen some of the stuff that you're not supposed to see. Uh, yet. And then uh, Yusuf, of course, does all these tours. And that was a big reference point. There's lots of videos. You'll see Yusuf in Ben's videos and a lot of others and Brian Forrester's. Mohammed Ibrahim does the tours, but he also speaks ancient Egyptian and is boots on the ground for doing this research about what's really under Egypt. And my whole life, I heard the same thing everyone did. This was mind-blowing to me, so I'm sharing... Why, like, oh, you know, most of Egypt's buried under the sand. I'm like, yeah, sand, drifts, makes sense. A lot of towns, yep, have a lot of things under sand. That's what I thought. Muhammad and I are doing this interview a few years ago, or a couple years ago now. And no, no, year and a half ago? Only a year and a half ago. So Muhammad's like, Jared, it's not that it's underground because it's open cities. When they say Egypt's underground... 90% of Egypt are very advanced, well-lined tunnels and systems that overlap. And like here at Saqqara and the Osirian, there are miles and miles and miles of connected uh, space. And we're not talking primitively. We're talking polygonal Osirian quality uh, Or, or here where it's been taken over by dynasties. I'm going to talk about that one in a minute. But basically, Muhammad's point was that whether the Giza Plateau, a lot of people don't know as many cities, the Giza Plateau is not just the Great Pyramid, which is plugged like a socket into um, what I think. And when I asked Muhammad, if you had all the money in the world, I, I told Muhammad about my theories and we we're talking and he's like, Jared, if I had all the money in the world, I would prove yours out. I would prove out the Egyptian that the Great Pyramid is actually on a uh, 100% compacted uh, foundation, and that, and there's blocks that are the size of the ones at Lebanon that are in the ground around the pyramid. So the reality is that this system underground here, these hyperbolic chambers, and the tunnels that connect them are not tunnels. Think of them more like an underground shopping mall that go for miles. And he goes, Jared, most of it's unexplored. And not yep. only that, we've only figured out the Egyptian ancient language to maybe 40 to 60% if we're being optimistic. But the reality is 40 to 50% of the ancient Egyptian language we do not understand. And I think that's because dynastic Egyptians on the oldest, oldest Egyptian ruins, they found them just like the Greeks found. Their, they said, who built the Temple of Athena? The Greeks said the gods. Eric von danigan has four books on it. This is part of a system that was taken over by dynastic Egyptians. They didn't know the language either. They just started mimicking it. They started adding on to it. So they did have a a living language that was hieroglyphic. But the reason we can't entirely interpret all of it is because these tunnels and these systems go for miles and miles and miles. They go into mountains. Yusuf went on about the extent and the depth and the breadth of how much of Egypt Are these advanced massive underground structures and this is not dissimilar to what eric von danigan did in inviting buzz aldrin the guy who went on the moon to bolivia there's whole video footage of this they talk about it on ancient aliens and all over buzz aldrin was like well there's laser cut super precise stuff all over the world that shows that a massive human population either in times of trouble or uh, consistently we're ready to function underground. And in the circular motion that Wayne made, there's a black box that you get to walk by as if it was dropped or that it was in place. And Wayne, something that no one ever talks about. And I asked Muhammad about, he'd be a great guest. Um, and I think um, I would be very fascinated to, f- now that box is one of those multi-ton, 20, 30 ton boxes. Mm -hmm. I'd be very curious what's underneath it.
2: It looks so wildly out of place too. Oh, you (laughs) got to see it. I have
3: photos in my member area on not aliens. Uh, Jen Jen Dale, the archeologist was there. I have photos of that in my member area on not aliens of that box. And to me, it's quite interesting because they either dynastically tried to like move it Or it's been left there pre maybe Younger Dryas. And in the fall time, like that thing stopped getting moved. And so the question is why? And I think if it was moved dynastically at all, we could find out by lifting it or tilting it. And and right now, there's not a lot of space there. That's big enough for two humans. to. Like a human could walk around either side of it, but there's no room. There was a theory about it being floated for everyone who wants to get smart. Yeah, there's like, oh, it was hydrostatically moved, that it was, they flooded and they moved it. And it just, um, using Victor Schauberger's naturalist work with water, one could argue that if they had the right degree of water, if it was at the right temperature, they could actually lift a heavier than uh, what should be lifted object, that it could have been, you know, it could have been hydrostatically moved. But um, There's
0: there's no evidence of that, though
3: well and even if there was uh, uh, there's evidence of flooding in some of the uh, uh, structures but yeah. there is there is currently miles and miles and miles not only including the great labyrinth that ben from uncharted x talks about there's there there yeah so the the one in the hallway um
0: this one right here
3: it's fun to watch people try to walk around it that one's in a chamber the one that you have highlighted on the right yes the hall the hallway one. Um, isn't this very, the hallway one? No, no, the one that's in the, by your alien symbol. Yeah. That's, no, that's in a chamber. Uh, that's oh, the okay. back side of the one that you have on the left. Well, I was going to say see,
0: they built a floor around it. Cause you were talking about seeing what's underneath it.
3: No, uh, literally. No, Yeah, can't. no, not the the floor is there for tourism. If you scroll down on your list, maybe we'll see it, but we might also right. see maybe the wrong thing. I don't know. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the and maybe if you maybe if you try to search for the the one in the hallway you know All the Serapium, right. if you if you but the the serpium like a lot of the structures in egypt um you know the temple that everybody gets excited about but the alien helicopter and everything else oh, yeah. um i have pictures of muhammad on the roof with jan and and a group and what a lot of people don't know it's so funny they're like oh my gosh there's helicopters uh a UFO and a tank and, and oh my gosh, the, the, the you know, it's proof of crazy advanced stuff. Here's the irony, something that no one ever talks about. Again, I have photos of this on not aliens um, in the member area, but sorry folks, but right now, well, of course I could use the support. I'm not going to not <laughs> say that, but what a lot of people don't know is that entire temple ceiling is a single piece of stone. Yep. A lot of people don't know that. And we're talking like five feet thick. And where the hell did they get it? How the hell did they get it up there? And that temple is not a small temple. And where did they cut that? And how did they do it? And it is not, there's no way it's dynastic work. It could be, I mean, or maybe it fell down and they like, they actually managed to get it back up. They were able to tilt it, like work it back up. Maybe, because a lot of those columns are, are choppy, like five, eight-foot column pieces. That tends to be more dynastic work. But then you have keystone cuts and temples, um, like Elephant Island. Uh, well, anyway, there's all, all over Egypt and all over Greece and all over the world. There's these poor, poor, poor spots for connectivity between the giant megalithic blocks. And you can see them in Greece and in Egypt, where you have a new temple which they really were they they made the temple but they took an old block from an old building and you'll see them raised up high and they'll be turned on their sides and you can tell they're in different rows and there'll be one keystone cut that should have been with this keystone cut that should have been like this and down and like flat but clearly they rebuilt they were very ingenious that way you could really call the dynastic egyptians and the aztecs and the uh greeks and the you know all the megalithic societies in japan and china They were just, uh, they were very intuitive and and very smart about reusing these ancient tech pieces or these abandoned buildings. And now we're really confused as to what we're looking at. Yeah. Not to mention maintenance. I mean, repair. What happens when red goes out and yellow comes in? And then when it comes all over, I mean, where's Cleopatra with her version of Chip and Joanna Gaines? I mean, (laughs) then what? It's like. You know, this is just a horrible color for the gods. We need orange. Everything must be orange with shiplap. Right. Everything's got to be
0: shiplap. Or the, um, the barn doors, right? The sliding barn doors, too.
3: Yeah. And then, right. of course, since everyone's already in loin loincloths, we're going to paint them a more dramatic brown. And all the rugs are Persian.
0: Right. Well, you know, there's no doubt. There's no doubt that that Egypt was built by a higher tech human civilization because you can see how the building and stuff, as it gets closer to our date now, if you look at the, the building of things and the making of things they're they're horrible. They, they lost the ability to create like those jars, you know, out of, Oh yeah.
3: Yeah. Okay. You want to talk about those? Yeah, we
0: could talk about those real quick.
3: Yeah. No, but no. Finish the thought, but Bert,
0: well, you know about just the that jars? They can't. They they couldn't make them anymore. They you know. So they they found all those jars. I think it was under the the like forty thousand of jars over. Know, yeah, perfectly made out of granite that they they balance on a fine point at the bottom of the jar. Um, made out of very hard rock. If you go on a scale of what, well, like one to Nine on the Mohs hardness scale, you know, granite somewhere in seven or eight, you know, it's not easy stone to work with. That's why it's so expensive. If you want counter uh, granite countertops, you know, to cut those things, it takes forever. And here they have little tiny jars. Some of them are so thin, you can actually see light coming through them. And the best that the dynastic Egyptians could do was they would take them and use them as uh, canoptic jars to put, um, you know, body parts in for the Pharaohs or whatever, but the best they could do was make mud tops for those jars. They couldn't make a top for them, you know, in the precision on those and some of those statues, you know, the faces are directly symmetrical. I mean, Chris Dunn points that out. In in his book, uh just amazing stuff. And yet they could not reproduce it. They tried to copy it, and I think the dynastic Egyptians were basically role-playing, they were LARPers, right? Live action role players. <laughs> they dressed up, they dressed up as their gods that they called gods, and they <clears throat> thought they were following, you know, they're hitting the the 747 blinky board. They're trying to follow in the footsteps of their predecessors, but they couldn't do it. They they couldn't, and so I don't know, Jared. If you wanted to jump on those talking about those so, jars,
3: Burton, um uh, and Michelle, have you guys heard about these things? I mean,
2: I have not, they, I have not heard about these jars. No,
3: they, they, um, so they're digging and they find, I think the numbers now like 50 000 to 75,000 or whatever. I mean, what. So they're all different sizes. So there's small ones, but there's big ones. And they have a lot on display at the museum in Cairo and in Egypt. And to Wayne's point, some are made out of very hard stone. And they're shaped with a little lip. I mean, they're precision made. There's no errors. It's like they were made on a computer lathe. Yeah. So they're perfect on the outside. And they show the machining like the cylinders, which were problematic. Flinders Petrie, like Ben from Uncharted X, I, You know, there's a lot of people have... Flinders Petrie was a great archaeologist and did a lot in Egypt. However, he kept finding machining parts that were clearly from... And this is something Christopher Dunn looked at. These are core samples. They're, they're Well, they're core bits from when they would drill something out. So so here's what's even more interesting about these jars yeah. Some of them are translucent. Some of them are really hard. And on the interiors, you can see them like the lip there at the, at the top, you know, how perfectly circular and the whole thing is circular. It's per, I mean, it's perfect right now. Yeah. It's That's been diorite
0: wonderful. by the way, diorite is extremely mm-hmm. hard.
3: Yes. Now on the interior, you're going to see the machine lathing. It's like something got down in with some sort of super sharp blade and this is a solid piece of stone that was shaped into a vessel. A solid piece of stone that has been totally carved uh with care, interior, exterior, with some device that now if you have a really hard stone, it's like, oh yeah, you know, they used they had a real hard stone, they the, the 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 vessel could withstand the carving. Um voila, you have a diorite. You know, it's like a six or seven on the Mo scale. You know, you're way up there, almost a diamond. But uh, here's the thing. They didn't just use diorite. They used some of the most, this is, okay. So, well, let's get our heads around this. They stuck, you know, think about it. There's some sort of a hook with a blade and it spins around and it is chopping up all the stone on the inside to shape it into a vessel. And then they got to shape the outside because right now it's just think of it as in the past, it was just a block. And then they had to put the holes in it and then they had to polish it. And so despite the obvious precision, like this is something you go to Pier 1 and buy (laughs) uh, or World Market or whatever, we're sponsored by no one. Go go ahead and call us, please. Um, uh, We will be we would be happy to be sponsored all of our shows. Um, (laughs) But now whatever it is that was sharp enough to cut and they can see the spin lines on the interior of these vases right um now now imagine some of the most brittle uh like shale um really 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 messed up quartzed quartz filled stones that are soft mm-hmm. and if your blade was at all damaged or wasn't functional Many, many thousands of these vessels are made, actually, of a variety of stones and, and quartzites that should easily bust and break into a billion pieces. They weren't just working with the hardest. They were working with some of, like, if you were a manufacturer, you're like, shit, I'm not working with that material. I'm just going to break all of them. So there are other ones of these that are, and and here's another thing. They're taking some of the hardest stones on Earth or some of the most brittle and they're machining them perfectly width-wise that you, they are now translucent. And they did it in purpose. And they did it with something that could cut that. I mean, think on a micro level, a micro material level, they're skipping one, you know, one billionth of an inch from uh, maybe not a diorite, but a shale to a quartz back to a shale. And they are evenly producing vassals from again the most brittle crappiest material on earth that is they're turning them into these gorgeous uh vases and and then the dynastic egyptians were using them but again they put a piece of mud that they baked in the sun or whatever an oven as the lid yeah i was just
0: getting
1: ready to ask you about that you know all the attention to detail and the time involved to make one of these. And I remember us looking into this probably what a year ago. Yeah. So, and the fact that the lids that they uncovered looked like something that a two-year-old had created, you know, with some, you know, dirt and water.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Jared, I don't know what I was, uh, what podcast I was listening to not too long ago, but you know, they've been taking these things out of, uh, the the pyramids now these vases by the front loader full and dumping them into egyptian uh,
3: landfills oh my god i don't want to even hear that
0: yep yeah why, why uh, i really don't do they're getting rid yeah. of them
3: that makes me sick if that's really happening
2: yep Uh oh. Yeah, that's why on earth would they do that's like burning the library of Alexandria all over again. Well, you know, Um, there
0: was there were (laughs) I I can't remember which pyramids it was, but the floors, the underground areas. And I think if you go to the Bent Pyramid, you can get inside of it now and and look straight down. It's like a huge black box or uh, one of those, but bigger than the ones before in the center of the Bent Pyramid. And the yeah. floor around it was all white calcite, and they busted all of it up and took it up outside. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: And, and there's there's something about the combination. Yusuf Awan does an experiment with the different types of stone: the granite, the the diorite, and the limestone. And there's um, they put like a I don't know five seven hundred thousand volts through it. Uh, the conduct you know that there there's definitely machine issues. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, and. And so there is, there is, uh, uh, uh yeah. And so like You're just right. following the hellfire, hellfire here. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the reality is that when you look at these different, uh, types of vases and bowls and you look at the, again, the precision of their width and diameters and everything, it's all mind blowing, which is what Christopher Dunn has been talking about for years and, uh, and other people have followed suit. But then you have to explain how they have a cutting device that is working and making like onyx onyx stone is really cool i'm sure everyone has seen a picture or been to an ultra lounge or a really cool movie theater with the translucent orange fiery orange uh see-through stone tops that they always light from underneath you know those are super badass they're super expensive but people like to do it because it's onyx and it you know just looks cool these translucent vases what what were they putting in them you know what were they using them for and and they're so perfect that there there is something going on with the narrative still trying to be controlled and it is problematic it's uh something i don't want to focus on it's it's so frustrating but um you know i I, i've i've gotten firsthand accounts from archaeologists that are on the ground in egypt um that are doing really great work but uh, there's a lot of stories we could go into that really says that there are powers that be that, that definitely, you know, if you find the wrong thing, which they do, and you know, you guys will all have to, we'd have to talk about some of this stuff off air, but yeah, it, it, it if it doesn't light up with the narrative, they, they will, they will take care of it and you're to notify and there, it just doesn't get, you know, that, that doesn't make National Geographic news. Oh, yeah. despite there being, you know, I have a 1923, uh, I have a National Geographic that shows a pyramid that they never want to talk about in Egypt or uh, South America that in, in Central Mexico that was, you know, already abandoned for 34 feet and then covered in a lava flow and then, then abandoned some more and then the lava flow was covered, but they busy they excavated and it could have been a pyramid no less than eight or 12,000 years ago. Yeah. You know there's there's so many there's so many things that they just conveniently either now backtrack and you just don't learn about as a young paleoanthropologist or archaeologist in school or you have active work going on where you know what you're supposed to do if you find the wrong thing. Mummies, you know, technology or whatever and it's it's really rough to hear. You're going to have to tell, can you talk tell us what show you're watching that you saw the
0: I can't remember.
3: Okay.
0: I, I I'll go back through my podcast playlist and see what i was listening to because i think i fell asleep during it oh no and, uh yeah shall we'll we come up next time yeah <laughs> they were they were talking about you know the the front loader you know full of these pieces and broken ones and just lining uh landfills yeah. with them so
3: no that's just so, god it's horrible but it is isn't it oh just,
0: it it ah. it's horrible and if anything you know i think that was the pre-diagnostic egyptians kind of flexing and saying hey look at what we can do and by the way we're going to hide all these underneath a pyramid it's they're, they're from a oh, gigantic room which had human bones and stuff in it too but thousands and thousands of these jars and nobody can say how they were made
3: No, there's no, there's no engineering on it. There's no reverse engineering on it. But, but those are some of the now, you know, we're definitely drilling into the pieces of the past, where this kind of brings us full circle on Bigfoot, where it's like, hey, are there aliens? And it's like, we really need to look at not only that level of technology externally, but then we have to look at our superhuman abilities like Wim Hof and Stieg and other people where Hey, we, you, and I are able to like just breathe a certain way, work with uh, our uh, cold weather, and con- consciously control our inflammatory response and our immune system. And then, right, and then you got a guy from the X C I A teaching uh, remote viewing, and then you have uh, the gal who wrote the book on Power of Eight. And before you know it, you you have a more than capable list of a, of a human society that can go Mach twenty two and fly in a Tic Tac and look however they want because they did it tens of thousands of years ago. They advanced to that level. There's a great Ted talk from a neuroscientist and actually spoiler. I am, I am writing about all of this too, is that the human skin can see infrared. It has its own neural network, just like this. You know, the average person has two and a half, three and a half pounds of gut bacteria that, that has a neural network, which is why when you're in a coma, you can still digest food um, so we have a system that has very incredible backups and and has the ability to read light that we can't see through our skin and interpret and send signals about that information. And there's a whole 30-minute TED Talk by a neuroscientist that explains some of these things that our bodies can do. And so it's really, really, really hard to, to, to just put all of these tidbits on one banquet table of information and say shit um might be our relatives flying around yeah it just
0: well you know Jared we've been at this for like 2 hours and 20 minutes now yeah, yeah. We, i'm sure we could go a lot more but uh before you go let's let's field one more question here from Hellfire this is and, uh, too. I don't have an answer for this but he, you he's it? asking I, I, yeah, can't, no, I no. have not. Okay. So,
3: so, so I got a B in my bonnet about going to Antarctica. I've interviewed Brad Olson. He was going to go. Um, ironically, I have not talked about this yet at all, but there we are in conversations again. There is a group that wants to fund a trip to see if this is real. Um, so that's actually something that we've been, I I had picked up the torch on that, set it down when I did the Kincaid thing and then was working on the Peru. I'm like, I really got to focus on core samples, but there has been a desire in the last week. Actually, we have a, um, myself and another researcher, we have a meeting with someone that actually wants to go take a look at this. And, um, yeah, so it's interesting because it looks like a pyramid but you know um it it may not be uh, you know may not be uh but who knows because oh no one's looking you know like they know you can see it really high up photo but you know the proof is in the gotta go take a look yeah
0: you know you you can't really trust photos much anymore just like ufo videos and things like that i mean it's yeah yeah i don't know burton you added something you wanted to add on that
2: well yeah you know it's I mean, okay, you are correct, correct, Wayne. Like, it is hard to trust photo and video evidence anymore. That's true. But operating under the assumption that it's an authentic photo, um, we were talking earlier about how 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 they a lot of times they'll explain or maybe we weren't. I don't know. I can't remember. But uh, they'll, a lot of times they'll explain stuff as like, "Oh, it's just a one-off. Like this is this is just like the one-off." Uh, situation that's how they kind of write off a lot of explanations when it comes to the ancient archaeology and things like that how many times have we found a structure that looks like a pyramid where it wasn't man-made like would this be the one off the the can like 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 hellfire said the convenient geological uh situation yeah
0: yeah
3: oh like in the show you guys were watching, one of the things I went on and wrote about too is the P. Reese Reese map, where you know you have this Turkish yes. admiral going, Well, look, this is a something they don't bring up in the series. So here's some tidbits is that the map, of course, has an outline of Antarctica at on one side. Charles Hapgood is the one who does the research. You have this team of American Air Force cartographers taking their own time to sort out the maps um value and within the map and this is not discussed also is accurate mercator projections so you have a map that is a list of maps of a bunch of old maps and the p reese reese map is not just that map it's a tear off yeah. so this was a yeah. global map yep. so god knows what else was on it yep. and why did they just leave that piece that's for that's for giggles and then of that of what they found uh you know it's 1536 it will be 40 plus more years before we can even have a hypothetical map that will make longitude possible right so here we are with a map with accurate longitude should not exist an accurate outline oh, wow. of a coast that's a kilometer under ice that should not exist without someone flying the coastline or having you know like and seeing it but the yeah right so the mercator projections. Rarely get shouted out because nobody wants to nerd 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 nerd. You know, it's hard. To like what longitude? What's that? How long? <laughs> you know. You know, you, know. <laughs> you know. So that to do to look at all the different personalities of this map and to relate it to, you know, the accuracy of it. Again, it's one more piece of a puzzle, and it's not even the most. Uh, that map's bizarre but there's even more bizarre maps. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a book that was published by Yale. Um, uh, thank God for academic hubris. Um, for everyone out there, if you have books about history, fines, you name it, the one thing you can rely on professors to shoot themselves in the foot as far as a total story, and they're not even, I think, that coordinated about like trying to hide anything. They're just trying to... Anyway, I have this thick map book, ancient map book. And this is from 1964. And they're busy talking about the papacy's uh, conversations with another uh, location in the 1200s about their work going to the Americas in the 1200s. And, and that's not even the point of the book. It's about Vineland. It's about... Uh, these ancient maps, and it's a whole Yale published uh, kind of a not a vanity print, but it's just a a book. Anyone out there, when you find old uh, published works on finds, or even if it has like a sub issue, like uh, for a <clears throat> you know something like oh was Vineland real? And in this case, I have this entire book dedicated to ancient maps and here they are casually discussing the times dates the people in the 1200s talking about america and their travel routes and you know irish monks and stuff and then you have something like the previous reese -Reese map not being the only map in the 15 or 1400s that are showing highly advanced math or science and that that can't be random it's there's no such thing as a one-off it's just I it's just everything that we have on, uh, in society could be put in a cruise ship and then just tear that cruise ship up, put it in 10 tornadoes and scatter it across the planet. Yeah. You know, one off, one off, one off, one off, until you put it all back together and go, shit, it's a cruise ship. And it has yeah. satellite, you, know, yes. you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right, <laughs> guys. Everybody wants is- to do something else. <laughs> this has yeah. been a lot of fun it's been a great conversation which i knew it would be we're at two hours and 30 minutes and and we're not even scratching the surface yet on scratching some of it. this stuff man no it's a you, we can go on and on and on and you know i i really have i have a, a high interest in the ufo things because of what michelle and i went through with our ufo sighting and things but from a science earth science and astronomy standpoint and my background that way you know i find this stuff absolutely fascinating because you can you can go to these sites you can look at the evidence in hand you can you know if you want to make the trips make the trips and and to me that's more like hands-on let's experiment kind of things because until we figure out what's going on with this the, the whole UFO thing and where that fits into anything, it's like we you can't you can't test it, you can't really even talk about it scientifically because we don't have anything. Um, at least that we know of. Oh, thanks, Ian. He says uh, great show. Uh Hellfire as well. Thank you, Hellfire, for sticking around.
3: Oh, but, I got uh, one more. I got one more thing for everyone before they leave. But yeah, keep, so keep before you go. People.
0: Before you go, Jared, make sure you you uh, tell everybody what's coming up and where you're at and where they can find you.
3: Well, look, I'm on NotAliens.com. I have Not Aliens on YouTube, but I only found out on a live show that YouTube started changing everyone's uh, channel name.
0: Uh, yeah, you can like add a handle or something
3: now. So, what the hell happened, and when did that happen?
0: Uh, I,
2: I got an email about that a couple of weeks ago, but I didn't. I yeah. don't know what it is.
3: Yeah, it's, well, so Not Aliens on YouTube is now Not Aliens like 1968 or something. But
0: oh, geez. What?
3: Oh, it's yeah. really annoying. And I I just think that I'm going to, I got one more thing for everyone as far as like keeping looking into everything. And, uh, but yeah, it's uh, about that hellfire. Uh, yeah, so I'm on notaliens.com. I do co host some shows. Jim Goodall and I do a show. Every week, we just did our first one on Rockfin. I'm on Rockfin at Not Aliens. Uh, We're going to try to probably move that direction just because we can say what we want. And so we are probably going to do more and more. It will be on the free side. You don't have to pay for anything. But I do have a pay area on um, Rockfin. But of course, I'm on YouTube still. But I am embedding as my new website comes out. All the videos will be available on NotAliens.com. Uh, there is a member area, so those pictures of Sakara or the Serapium and the, uh, the Osirion and uh, the Flower of Life is all over the Osirion. That's really a whole other animal. And uh, Elephant, Elephantine Island, uh, I got pictures of that. Ben from Uncharted X talked about that. But for everyone out there, I think you need some inspiration. Thank you. Thank you, Scotty. But when you're out there looking, I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to share a screen. I'm just going to put this up. There we go
0: yeah yeah <laughs> scientific method step one blank around nope the, <laughs> step the two F- find A- out.
1: fafo experiment yeah
3: i think yep. for everyone out there that's what you gotta do yeah that's
0: you, you gotta mess around and find out
3: yeah yeah and uh and who better to teach us than beaker
0: that's right <laughs>
3: that's right
1: unless you're one of my students watching this do not go with that method
0: <laughs>
3: no, literally everything good has come from that
0: yeah awesome well Jared gotta say thank you uh for coming on and uh great talking to you again I'm sure we're gonna be talking more here in the future uh, yeah you wanna Thanks for having get me. that get that book finished up and we'll get you back on and we'll talk more about that I can't wait to get my hands on it you know I've been been waiting for you to get this done so i can actually get my hands on a physical copy man i no, want babe. it so bad but i'm not buying an old one i want the no new one.
3: don't you're gonna get it it's gonna be in color yes. it's gonna have uh, the hard copy is gonna be i think cool um it has a great new, oh man yeah no 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 everybody wait for the new one yes like it.
0: oh man so anyways all right well jared thanks for joining us man i'm gonna yeah thanks for having me go ahead and move you out and everybody check out his website check out the the youtube uh you know his, his show with uh jim is really good jim goodall and uh they sit around and talk and and good times and man
3: if we want to know how to get to area 51 jim knows how and we talk yes. about it like yes. legit if the you f- want to go to a fence line and actually watch something uh we get into the real how to do it
0: yeah the 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 first guy in, in uh the public to take a picture of an f-117 uh um, stealth fighter so
3: yeah, yeah he was with john lear from lear jets yep, um, yep. yeah great really fun stuff. friends with bob lazar <clears throat> good yep. stuff yeah all right well jared, jared i gonna
2: move you to the back it was an absolute uh, honor meeting you, Jared. I just want to say that real oh. quick. Absolute honor meeting you. I, I love your work and uh, oh, I hope thanks. we get to talk again soon or sometime again in the future because I still have a bunch of stuff I wanted to go over well, with you.
3: Well, cool. I can wait in the green room for a minute. I got a okay. couple more minutes if you
2: want. Oh, no, it's fine. It's fine.
3: So, yeah. Oh, all right. Thank
2: you. But thank you so much. Very nice to meet
3: Everybody's you. Got to, it's Saturday. Let's get our drink on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right.
0: Be back with you in a second, Jared. All right. Burton. Yeah.
2: Long night. That was, that was amazing. That was absolutely outstanding. These are so much fun, man. Tremendous fun. Tremendous fun. I cannot thank you enough for, for having me on these. Like I, there's, (laughs) uh, there's not a lot of ways I would have, uh, ever been had the opportunity to talk to a lot of these people. Like even it's even crazy. We always talk about synchronicities and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, last time we did this with Gemma, by the way, great episode with her. Uh, the, the yeah, you guys just put out. Um, uh, I think I brought up on that episode, uh, Edgar Casey. Yes. And then, and then, and Jared was just talking about like people with abilities and the thing that they say, uh, that a lot of them have in common is that that they say like, everybody can do this. This is not like, it's not a unique thing to me. Every human has this in them. And I, and, and so, yeah, I wonder if Jared has heard of Edgar Casey, because that's another, Oh another yeah. Synchronicity. Another, another, another one of those things.
0: So. Well, if you, if you take what he says about our genetic, basically programming where we came from and our abilities, you know, you look at Steg Severson, you look at Wim Hof, you look at these people that have done things, uh, you know, like this uh, physically, um, you know, you look at that and it, why couldn't people activate these things? you right. know, it, it could be in their abilities. So, um, you know, it would make sense that yeah. that people would be able to do that. So, but all right, man, it's been great there. having you on. Thank you so much. Um, all right, man. as have always, a- this is, this is a
2: pleasure. I do w- real quick. I do have one last thing yeah. real fast just because, uh, um, Everybody be sure to check out Father Reaper podcast and Lost in the Dark, but also we did just have, a, everybody that has checked those things out knows that my favorite cryptid in the world is the Dogman. And uh, we did, I, I did want to mention this because we are on, uh, you know, we do a lot of the paranormal stuff. Um, on November 29th, the woman that broke the story on Dogman in, initially, uh, Miss Linda Godfrey, who, who wrote the book The Beast of Bray Road and all that stuff, she yep. sadly passed away oh yeah um and uh she was someone that i always wanted to have a chance to talk to one day so i just wanted to get you know a rest in power a shout out everybody if you're interested in dog man stuff be sure to check out linda godfrey's work she was an amazing amazing journalist
0: yeah yeah. good point all right well burton i'm gonna send you to the back thanks a lot man we'll talk to you soon all right michelle what a show huh
1: I always love listening to Jared talk. It's why I don't say a whole lot because there's so much to take in.
0: There's so much to learn, you know, there, there's, there's a lot there and, uh, it's not for the faint of heart. That's for sure. Because some of the things you might, uh, you might, um, discover could be very disheartening, you know, to, to find out what has your, uh, uh, you know, fellow man tried to hide from you and things like that. So, all right. Well, just for everybody that's still sticking around and listening, you know, if you want to support the podcast, go to our link tree. You'll find that information in the show notes. There's various ways you can donate. Um, If you want to help fund some of our expeditions, we would like to uh, start getting set up and actually need some funding for the trip coming up in June. Feel free to Donate and any money that you do donate to the podcast goes for that stuff. We don't use it for anything silly in those regards. Um, Check
1: out the links and link tree.
0: Yep, absolutely. And if you want to send us a story and want to talk about a paranormal story or something you, you know, have and you want to talk to us, email us at mi.ufo.podcast at gmail.com and we'll be happy To tell your story, or maybe if it's a really good one, we'll send it to Burton, too, and have him put it on his podcast as well. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those of all ages, thank you very much for joining us on this live. It's a long one, but we had a lot of fun, so have a good night.
1: Good night, everyone.